Hashem, Nasev v'natzliach, Shur Torah, great to be in Avent Torah again. Baruch Hashem, we have an uh, amazing holiday coming up that Zod um, Hashem will talk about a little bit about Shavuot. We, uh, today we're doing it instead of the typical Tuesday because tomorrow night is Chag. So uh, Amos Tzadik gave me a good idea and he said, why don't we just, instead of missing a whole Shior for a whole week, and we need this Torah as much as uh, we need air. Why don't we uh, have a shiur on Monday? So, here we are. So the schut of the shiur definitely goes to Amos also. Also, refuah shlema to Noah Batzava Ve'ilui Nishmat Miriam Batmalka and also a refuah shlema to Tinok Ben Kesia. May Hashem give him a refuah shlema, refuah nefesh, refuah aguf. This little baby is mamash someone we have to pray for. They named him Chaim, but they haven't named him yet because since he was born almost a year ago, this precious little Tinok, this precious little baby, has been in the hospital, in and out of hospital, having surgeries nonstop. And uh, one of my students... Uh, she's uh, friends with the mom, and uh, it's mamash, it uh, breaks your heart to see uh, these tikkunim that Am Yisrael gets. Obviously, Hashem has a reason for everything that he does. He's a just God, and he does everything for our own benefit. We just don't understand it, so really meaning that the uh, lack is on us, not on him, chas v'shalom. But still, it's very, very painful, and... Um, uh, after the Ilu Nishmat, the last one, just remind me, and I'll tell you a story that I uh, just read recently, actually on Shabbat, about a baby. Uh, but uh, again, I met this, this baby, I've been praying for him for almost a year, but uh, a lot more in the last uh, month or two. Uh, and uh, I'm really hoping that this uh, shiur cause is, is, is really going to go to uh, give him a full refuah shlema, and he can have a proper brit milah. And become a Talmud Chacham Be'ezrat Hashem, do Zikoy Rabin, make Am Yisrael do Tshuva, and Be'ezrat Hashem give Nacha to his parents that are mamash doing everything they can to uh, to really uh, to get Hashem to have some mercy on us to uh, to get this baby to have an amazing life. So Be'ezrat Hashem, uh, this uh, Shiur will also go to uh, his Refuah Shlema, Refuah Tanefesh, Refuah Taguf, and also Refuah for Dvora Bat Mercedes. And Yehuda ben Dvora, David ben Esriel, Doris Bajora, and all of Am Yisrael will have refuah shlema, refuah tanefesh, refuah taguf. You know, the, uh, one of the things that uh, has always touched a uh, special nerve with me is little kids. You know, I love kids. I've always loved, since I was a kid, I liked kids. Uh, my mom tells me that when I was a little kid, when I was like five, six years old, I used to want to babysit my cousin and nephew. Uh, my cousins were uh, were like, well, it's like, you know, two years old, three years old. I would want to babysit them. I always liked kids. And Baruch Hashem, Hashem uh, gave me the schut uh, to uh, be a father. And uh, Baruch Hashem, the kids are amazing. But, uh, you know, sometimes you, uh, you don't understand that, you know, you see a kid and they're so pure and they're so amazing. And the world around them is not exactly so pure and so amazing sometimes. So you wonder, what's going to be with this boy? What's going to be with this girl? And uh, in today's world, 
unless we as parents, we as brothers, we as sisters are going to mamash take the Torah by the horns and mamash start connecting and gluing ourselves to Hashem Barach, gluing ourselves to the instruction set that Hashem left for us over 3,300 years ago on this, just on Shavuot, unless we start hanging on to it, start gluing ourselves to the pages of the Torah, fulfilling Hashem's will as if it's our own will, not only are we doomed, but these precious little babies are too. The uh, Chida, once uh, after prayer, people uh, would uh, came to him and uh, asked him to give brachot. And uh, one uh, mother brought her eight-month-old baby to, uh, to get a bracha. And as soon as the Chida saw the baby, there was many witnesses, a bunch of people, they saw him hold the baby and start shaking. But shaking from fear. Shaking like he's never, like he's scared to death. And eventually he stopped shaking. And he said to the boy, Aleph. And the boy said, Aleph. He's eight months old. He said, Bet. He said, Bet. He said, Gimel. And the, and the boy continued the entire Hebrew alphabet. He started counting. One, two. Kid continued counting. To this day, he never spoke a word. He told him a pasuk in the Torah, and he continued it. And then he got to a certain pasuk, and the boy didn't answer. And he said again. You know, everybody's like, he's only eight months old. Maybe he forgot. Who knows? You know, they're surprised he's even talking. Bichlal. And he says the pasuk again. And the boy doesn't repeat it. So he taps the boy on the forehead. He says, that's too bad. The next day, the boy died. A few days later, there was a Brit Milah. A little over a week later, after the Shiva was over, there was a Brit Milah. And uh, they brought the Chida uh, to be the Sandak, Gdolador. And everybody was praying a special prayer, or Eliyahu Navi. Eliyahu Navi has his chair. Eliyahu Navi also, Hashem says to the Prophet that he's going to send Eliyahu Navi three days before the Mashiach comes. And Chida was very sad, and he said, Yeah, the soul of the Mashiach was already born in this generation, but unfortunately, because of our sins, we didn't have the merit to have him grow up. So he died just a week ago. The Chida, through his Ruach HaKodesh, knew that the Mashiach was, his soul was in that little boy. And we see little kids, see cute, see amazing, see miracles. We don't know what the potential of the kid's going to be. But one thing I can tell you is that every single person has the opportunity to bring 
an extraordinary amount of brachat to Am Yisrael, even if they're not Mashiach, just by doing the, the will of Hashem. So we continue in the series of the Pirkei Avot, but we're also going to obviously connect it to this Chag of Shavuot. In Parashat Yitro, we got, Am Yisrael got to Mount Sinai, Hashem started giving us the commandments. And after the first one, Chazal in the Gemara Masichet Shabbat says that Am Yisrael heard the first commandment and everyone died. Some say some died and some flew away 12 miles away. Either way, it wasn't an ordinary day. Hashem said the second commandment and everyone died again. We talked about this last week where Hashem brought them back to death, from, from death to life. And then they told to their prophet, Moshe Rabbeinu, the prophet of all prophets, you go talk to him, we'll do whatever he says. You go talk to him. Because if he continues to talk to us, we're all going to die. As Naseb and Ishma, we'll do whatever he says, and then we'll listen. Just come back to us after you talk to him, come back with the instructions. Yeah? Good, yeah. Mike's on. So, Naseb and Ishma, Naseb and Ishma. Now, Chazal also explains to us that all of the souls in the world, not just in a, uh, of Am Yisrael, but all of the souls in the world started with a single soul, which was Adam HaRishon. Adam HaRishon, you fast forward to Noach and a generation of the flood, Hashem destroyed the world, and the only people that were left were Noach, his three sons, their mother and their three wives. And also Og, the king of Bashan, the giant. Everyone else died. There was a lot of wasting seed, a lot of murder, theft, all types of sins that Hashem found disgusting and decided that it's already too far. It got to such an extent that the sins of man affected the animals. So the homosexuality that was practiced by men started affecting the animals. The animals became homosexual. The animals started being with other animals. Instead of hunting the, uh, the lion, hunting the zebra, he wanted to be a husband instead. This was against nature. This was against the way Hashem created the world. So the sins of man led to the destruction of everything. Even to such an extent, Chazal explains to us that Hashem had to destroy six feet off the ground. The actual ground was already cursed because it was hiding the blood of all the murder. And not only murder of actually with knives, but also murdering when someone wastes seed. And that's why one of the first uh, commandments that Hashem gave to Noah had to do with not wasting seed. 
השופך דם האדם באדם, דמו יישפך. One who spills the blood of a man within a man, his blood will be spilled. So the blood of a man we know is regular blood, but within a man, obviously we know he's repeating something, there's a superfluous word here. We know that there is something beyond just the traditional blood that Hashem Ibarach is talking about, and this is one of the biggest biggest proofs that the whole issue of wasting seed being a sin also affects Jews and Gentiles alike. There's still a machloket. Some say that it doesn't affect the Gentiles the same way as it does the Jews. Either way, everyone agrees that it's a disgusting thing for even Gentiles to do, and for Jews it's absolutely forbidden. Needless to say, this wasn't a good generation. Hashem decided to destroy it. And if you fast forward all the way to Abraham Avinu, Hashem decided that Am Yisrael is going to come from him. You fast forward all the way to Moshe Rabbeinu, and the purpose of the world came to be. Hashem waited 974 generations to give the Torah to Am Yisrael. So from creation until Moshe Rabbeinu, 26 generations passed. And finally he gave them the Torah. Now Chazal says that before Am Yisrael arrived at Mount Sinai, all of the mountains, the stars, the angels, everyone was petrified. Everyone was scared. Why? Because if Am Yisrael would reject the Torah, Hashem would bring back the world to Tov Hashem would bring back the world to nothing. This is also in Gemara by Resh Lakish, Masechet Shabbat. And the source is saying Yom Hashishi, where you see that every time Hashem finished the day, it was, it was evening, it was morning, Yom Rishon, Yom Sheni, Yom Shlishi. But when it gets, you know, first day, second day, third day, but when it gets to Friday, it says it was evening, it was morning, Yom Hashishi. There's an extra hey. There's an extra letter in the word shishi, which is six, the sixth day. So Resh Lakish, the Baal Tshuva, the famous Baal Tshuva, who was also the Chavruta of Rabban Yochanan, says that extra hey is a sign of the five books of Moses. Hey stands for five, but also a sign of the deal that Hashem made with the planet Earth, with the angel that runs the planet Earth. What's the deal? He says, listen, now Yom HaShishi, we're going to get to Yom HaShishi. If Am Yisrael accepts the Torah, good, we'll get to Yom Shabbat. We'll get to rest. If it doesn't, I'll have to bring it back to where we started. Nothing. So everyone was scared. Now Am Yisrael, good for us, accepted the Torah. But some said, it wasn't really exactly Kabbalah Torah. It wasn't like we accepted it, like, oh great, we can't wait to have the Torah. It was, we accepted it under tough conditions. What were the conditions? When we got to Mount Sinai, and it got to the time of Matan Torah, Hashem bent the mountain, 
took the Mount Sinai. It wasn't the tallest mountain. It was actually the shortest mountain. It was the humblest mountain. That's why Shem picked Mount Sinai versus the other mountains that are much bigger than it. And each mountain wanted to, mountains from all over the world, you know, each angels run these mountains, not just a mountain talking, obviously. Each mountain said, I'm bigger, I'm nicer, I'm this, I'm that. The only one that didn't talk is Mount Sinai. He says, oh, he's the humblest, he's going to get it. Someone who chases Kavod, the Kavod runs away from him. Someone who runs away from Kavod, Hashem gives him Kavod. The same reason of why Hashem called the Torah the five books of Moses. Chamishachom Torah is five books of Moses. Why? Because Moshe Rabbeinu didn't want to take credit for getting the Torah from Hashem Ibach. He said, no, it's yours. You just used me as a middleman, as like a post service to give it to Am Yisrael. So, you don't want any kavod? Want to call it after your name. You're going to get the most kavod there is. So now we're all in Mount Sinai. All of the souls that went into Adam Arishon, the few that survived went into the family of Noah. They repopulated the world. Shem Cham repopulated the world. The Chinese people actually says that the uh, first grandson of, uh, one of the first grandsons of, of uh, Noah was a Sini. Sini means Chinese. Which means, and Shem was one of the sons, meaning he was actually older than the grandson. Which means that at the very least, Am Yisrael should have just as many people as the Chinese people. But if you look at the world today, they have nearly 2 billion people. We have 15 million, 20 million at best. Something's missing. And they have birth restrictions. They have birth restrictions. Unfortunately, Am Yisrael, just in Israel, has had millions of abortions. Millions of abortions. Not even including the millions of abortions that are having being done in America by Jews. And everyone alike. With wicked companies like Planned Parenthood making it like it's not a big deal. People think that killing babies is okay. Because they haven't come out of the stomach yet. But if you take out the baby, and you see that after 40 days it's already moving, it already has a heartbeat, it's already alive. If you take it out of the body, you see it, perfectly alive. Small, but it's alive. If you kill the baby outside of the stomach, it's murder. You kill it inside, it's a mitzvah. Nothing. This is the stupidity of people today. You don't know. Most people, most women that have abortions, they don't know that it's actually a living baby. They don't know that after 40 days it's actually a living human being. Has arms, has legs, has eyes, has a brain. All miniature, but it's very much alive after 40 days. And the wicked doctors that cut the little kid up into pieces... They make it, no, it's not a big deal. It's not really alive. It's not really this. Okay, so why don't you just take it out, show it to the mom, show it it's not alive, and then kill it if it's not alive. Why do you have to kill it inside? Take it out. It's not alive. If it's just a piece of meat, take it out. Show it to the mom. See, it's, it's dead. Why do you have to cut it into so many pieces? 
Because they're committing, because it's inside the body, it's okay, it's legal. Outside, it's murder. Oh, Ari Hashem will take care of them too eventually. But the point being is that all of the Neshamot repopulated the world, and all of them that went into Am Yisrael arrived at Mount Sinai and heard Divrei Hashem, heard the voice of Hashem, the sound of Hashem, saw the words in the sky. Hashem spoke, words were written in the sky. And that's why it says, don't forget the things you saw. You saw the words of God. You didn't just hear it. You saw them. Which means that all of our neshamot, all of our souls here and anyone that's watching, we were all there. I think Sonny was pushing me. I'm not sure. I think he was pushing me, trying to see more, maybe more. Amos was in the back. He's relaxing. He had a good spot. All of us were there. And all of us said, Naseh Venishma. All of us said, listen, Moses, it's too much for us. Halas. Go talk to Hashem. We died twice already today. First time we talked, we died. That was already scary. Second time, no. Come on, look on Yom Purim. Every day he's going to, he's going to kill us, bring us back, kill us. Enough. Go talk to him. Whatever he says, we'll do. Enough. You remember that, Amos? You remember. Both of us said it. Not seven Ishma. But Chazal says something very scary. Chazal says that anyone that says something and doesn't keep his promise, doesn't keep his promise, the same God that punished Doham Abul, that punished the generation of the flood, will take care of them too. Hey, listen, the guy said to the guy, listen, I want to buy your car, but uh, I'm going to come up with money tomorrow. And he doesn't show up tomorrow, he doesn't show up at all. You promise, you're going to buy my car. Why don't you show up? Why don't you call me, tell me I can't afford it. Why don't you tell me, listen, I bought something else. Promise, broke a promise. Husband says, honey, I'm going to be loyal to you for the rest of your life. Two years later, he already has a girlfriend. Guy says, sir, I'm going to be with your company for the rest of my career. Three and a half years later, his resume got built up. He goes to the competitor and makes double the money. Broken promises are pouring all over the street like germs. Hashem doesn't like broken promises. People are saying, tomorrow I'm going to come to Minyan. What time are you doing it? Six, I'll be there. I'll be at 6 o'clock. I'll be at 5.59. Tomorrow you're learning. I'm going to be at the shield. What time? 9. For sure. Count me in. 8.30, I'm going to be there waiting for you. You're going to see. I'm waiting for you at 8.30. I'm going to start teaching the class. You know how many times every single week, same exact people tell me, oh, this week I'm coming. This week I'm coming. This week I'm coming. Every, every week... At least double the amount of people that are supposed to come actually tell me that they're going to come. But it's not just me. It's everybody. And people make promises, make empty promises, like my brother Ostri says all the time, 
He says empty promises. People make empty promises. My father explains it. He says the reason why people make empty promises because talk is free. It's free to talk. You can say as much as you want. It's free. It doesn't cost any money. But according to our Torah, it actually does have a price. It actually does have a price. First and foremost, Chazal says that everyone that comes to this world comes with a certain amount of words. So the next time you're about to talk about shtuyot, just remember, this may be your last few words. So if those next few words are going to say to your brother, Hey, Abba, hey, uh, I love you. Okay, Chazaku Hey, brother, I love you. Chazaku Baruch. Divrei Torah, Chazaku Baruch. Very town, listen. What was the baseball game score last week? How much does Derek Jeter make? How much does, uh, what, what was the guy, the golfer that got arrested today? Tiger Woods, the loser. How much does he make? Degenerate loser gets caught drunk driving at 11 in the afternoon. The guy has a billion dollars, he gets drunk driving in the afternoon. There's no bigger loser in the world than someone that has everything that Hashem can possibly give a human being in this world as far as material. And what does he do? He drinks himself to nothingness in the afternoon. You want to have a drink? Fine, have a drink at night, normal hour at your house. Not only are you drinking in the middle of the afternoon like a loser, degenerate, but on top of it, you're putting everyone around you in danger by driving. You selfish garbage. Why? Why does everybody have to suffer for your stupidity? There's no bigger loser in the world than somebody like that. No bigger loser in the world. Why? Because it's selfish. Hashem gave you everything. And what are you doing? You act like you run the world. Selfish people disgust me. They also disgust Hashem. So it's, oh Hashem, it's in line. So now, all of us were in Mount Sinai and we didn't have an opportunity to be selfish. Hashem told us, you have to accept the Torah because this spot right here, where you stand, will either be a day that it's Kabbalah Torah, you receive the Torah, you accept it, and it's going to be our marriage. And that's why he bent the mountain and made it the shape of a chuppah. So the, the, the mountain, instead of being straight up, it bent a little bit. It covered Am Yisrael, like a roof. He said, this is the sign of our chuppah and kiddushim. If you accept the Torah, good, we'll be married. I'll never leave you, you'll never leave me. If not, this is where you're going to die. This is where you're going to be buried. The roof will collapse right on top of you. Hashem Elohim. So the Gemara asks, what kind of gift is this? This is really not so much of a gift. It's more of like you're threatening us. So did we really accept the Torah or were we forced to get it? What do you think? No, Amos, what do you think? But if we didn't accept it, he says he's destroying the world. What kind of accepting is that? Zakubov. 
First and foremost, he told us, I love you so much, I can't bear the thought of not being with my people. We're not being with my firstborn son. But in case my firstborn son went a little cuckoo, and he hasn't realized who Abba is, I'm just letting you know it's not worth it. The whole world is not worth existing if we're not together. Chazal also, Tosfot specifically, say a different commentary on it. He says, really, he did force it on us. He did force us to get the Torah. But why did he force us to get the Torah? Because we were not the only creation. He created other people. Today, there's seven and a half billion people and counting. There's millions and millions of creatures in the world, of species, billions of animals, and every one of them has a purpose. Even though the ant lives for six months, all of its panasa is made on the first day. On the first day, it collects enough food for the rest of its life. But what does it do the next day? It continues to work. It continues to work. That's why Shlomo HaMelech says, learn from the Nemala, learn from the ant. And you'll be Chacham. Not only you'll be Chacham because you're not going to be a lazy bum, but on top of it, you'll see how the Midot of the Nemala, the Midot of the ant are very good. As soon as it smells food that another ant touched, it doesn't touch it, it goes away. It's not like us, as soon as we see a customer, we don't care if it's somebody else's customer. It's a prospect. We're all like sharks. Kill or be killed. Survival of the fittest. Everyone practices it in business. The Nemala sees somebody else's panasa. He touched it. It's not for me. It's not for me. Why? Shem is going to provide something else. So Shlomo Amela says, Learn me dot from the Nemala. But even the Nemala, even the ant, has a purpose. It has a purpose in the world. When I first moved to Florida, I was amazed at how many lizards you have here. Like where I live, there's a lot of trees. And it's my mom, it's like a zoo. It's like a zillion lizards everywhere. And I, never, I, mean, I remember seeing a few lizards when I was a kid in, uh, in Israel, but in New York there's nothing. It's barely uh, anything. It's barely ants. With all the pollution, they probably killed all the animals and species there. But anyway, yeah, I saw lizards and this and that, a lot of... So I was wondering to myself, why? What's the purpose of all these lizards? And then my wife told me, he goes, no, these are good, good. These are good to have. I'm like, why? He goes, they kill all the other bugs. Like, ah, it's the cleaning service. It's the cleaning service, especially certain bugs we don't like, like spiders. So, so the lizard has a purpose. The ant has a purpose. The cow has a purpose. The sheep has a purpose. Lavdi, obviously much higher, human being, Jew or Gentile, they have a purpose. Even the rasha has a purpose. Even the wicked person, even has a purpose. 
whether you're talking about Yimachshimov Bezvichor, whether it be J.C. Penny, or Yimachshimov Bezvichor, it could be Hitler, or any of the Rashaim throughout history, each one of them has a purpose. The righteous Gentile also has a purpose. Rambam says the righteous amongst the Gentiles, the ones that keep the seven laws of Noach and all of the ethical laws, they're considered chasdei umot ha'olam. They're considered the righteous amongst the nations, the chasidim. This is the real word chasid, means you're doing above and beyond the norm. If they keep the laws based on the will of Hashem, they say, listen, this is what it says in the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu. Five books of Moses says, we have to keep seven laws of Noach, we have to keep all, maintain all of the ethical laws, meaning you have to do kibud avayim, respect your, uh, and honor your parents, and so on and so forth. Fine. He says, if they do it because Hashem said it, they're considered the wisest amongst the nations. But if they do it for no reason, they just don't murder just because the government said they'll murder. They don't steal because they don't want to get arrested. They don't eat living animals because it's not really nice to see blood everywhere. Not because Hashem said it. The Rambam says that they are called, even though they keep the same thing. This one keeps it, this one keeps it. This one keeps it because Hashem said it. This one keeps it because it's custom. Government said it. It makes sense. He says, this one is the smartest of all the people, and this one is the stupidest of all the people. He's not talking about somebody who doesn't keep it. He's saying if somebody keeps it, but he keeps it for the wrong reason, he's the dumbest of all. Because you're doing all the job, but you're not getting paid for it. You have no share of the world to come. But if you, if you do the same thing, just say it's for Hashem. Same thing for Jews. Every morning, you wake up. If you just say, thank you, Hashem, you already have a mitzvah. You're waking up anyway, Bezat Hashem. Just say thank you. Next thing you do, you wash your face, right? Unless you live in a garbage pail. You're going to wash your face. You're going to wash your hands. If you say, I'm going to wash my hands and my face for the honor of Hashem to take, to do, fulfill the will of Hashem, say a bracha, you get a mitzvah. You don't do it, you have avera. You're doing it anyway. You go to the bathroom anyway. You go to the bathroom, you come out of the bathroom, say thank you Hashem for making all the holes where they're supposed to be and all the closures where they're supposed to be. Whatever is closed is supposed to be closed, whatever is open is supposed to be open. Very simple bracha. If you just say this blessing, it takes maybe 30 seconds. You go into the bathroom, we'll give you a share of the world to come. You don't do it, you have a share of Genom. Same thing. Just one is hot, the other one isn't. The other one's nice. You're going to eat, right? At some point you're going to eat. If you just say, Hashem, this food, thank you. Thank you, Hashem, for giving me food. You can do the bracha. At the very least, a human being says to get something. Somebody gives you a, uh, anything. You say thank you, right? Hashem gave you food. Say thank you, Hashem. Say a blessing. Eat the food. Mitzvah. You don't. You're considered a thief. 
Against two, against Hashem. You finished eating, say again thank you. Now I ate, I'm stuffed. Thank you Hashem for giving me just enough food to fill me up. Some people get food, but it's not enough to fill them up. In the old days, in the concentration camps, the Nazis, they would give each one of the Jews a tiny little portion of old bread, enough to maybe for a few days. For a few days. Some, they wouldn't give them anything at all. So don't take it for granted. You have food and you're satiated, you're full. Many people got food. It just wasn't enough. So at least you get it. Say thank you. You say thank you. Olamaba. Shefa. Pracha. Atzlacha. Parnasatova. Briyut. Greatest things in the world. You don't say. You're a thief. From who? From Hashem. From the worst kind. From the worst. You stole from Hashem, you idiot. You stole from Hashem. Better off steal from a person. If you're already going to steal, don't steal from Hashem. So you see here, it's simple. That's why the Rambam says for the Goyim, if they do it, it's all common sense, they're the smartest. They don't do it, they're the idiots. Same thing with the Jews though. You're already eating, you're already going to the bathroom, you're already going to work, you're already going to do stuff. You're going to give tzedakah because you're a human being. You're, you're, if you're a Jew, you have to have some type of generosity in you. You have to have some type of mercy in you to know that whether you are part of the descendants of Abraham Avinu, you have to have some type of mercy, some type of generosity, and some type of, no, bayshanut, being shy. This not all of us have. But at least the first two, you have to be generous, and you have to have some mercy. If you're not generous and you have no mercy, you're probably not part of the descendants of, of Avinu. But if you already have this, you're going to be generous. You're going to give money to somebody. At least give it to Torah. Don't give it to go build a gate in the zoo for some elephant or to save the dolphins or to save the crocodiles. Give it for Torah at least. You're already doing it. Why give it for Torah? Because you said you will. You may not remember, but 3,300 years ago, when you said, you told Hashem, we're going to do everything. Whatever you say, we're going to do. And even though Chazal says that it was a threat, Tosfot is saying, of course it was a threat. Because Hashem had many, many creations. He had animals, he had giraffes, he had horses, he had crocodiles, he had dolphins, he had birds, he had all types of creations. He had all the angels. And if you said, no, you destroy everyone. What kind of God do you think he is to leave everything up to chance? That would be an irresponsible teenager God. Not the God of Israel. So of course he's going to put everything on the line and say, you accept it, good, you don't accept it. This is the end. But the point being here is that all of us said yes. Like it or not, you have to fulfill the Torah. As a Jew and as a Gentile. Each with their own mission. 
Like it or not, you have to do what Hashem says. Like it or not. So at least if you're going to do it, do it with a little bit of kavanah. Do it with meaning. The question is, what do we have to do? What do we have to do? Every day, we have an opportunity to learn what Hashem said. But sometimes, we forget. We get on our way. So this Mishnah wants to explain to us what does it mean to forget. In Avod Gimel Yud 3.10 Rabbi Dostai Bar Yanai Mishum Rabbi Meir Omer Kol HaShokheach Dabar Echad Mishnato Ma'ale Alav HaKatuv Keilu Mitchayev Benafsho נאמר, רק ישמר לך ושמור נפשך מאוד, פן תשכח את הדברים אשר ראו עיניך. יכול אפילו תקפה עליו משנתו, תלמוד לומר, ופן יסור מלבביך כל ימי חייך, העינו מתחייב בנפשו עד שישב ויסירה מליבו. Translation, רבי דוסטאי בר ינאי says in the name of רבי מאיר. Which רבי מאיר? רבי מאיר בעל הנס. The famous רבי מאיר, the famous תנא. The famous Tana that Rabbi Akiva, after he lost 24,000 students, who all Tanaim, all were able to revive the dead, he had to start everything with five new students. One of them was Rabbi Meir Baroness. So all of the oral Torah that we have today is because of Rabbi Akiva and those five students. The reason why we mourn For losing those students is not because you connect to those students, you know who those students are. It's because all of the Torah that we have is just from a handful of people. Tens and tens of thousands of books that we have are just from a handful of people. The entire Torah of the 24,000 people, 24 Tanaim, were even greater than Rabbi Meir Baranes and Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and Rabbi Yehuda. They were greater than them. They were previous generation. All of that Torah is gone. So imagine how much more Torah we would have if the tens of thousands of books of Torah that we have right now is from five people. Six. Rabbi Akiva and five students. Rabbi Vadya had at least 40,000 books. Some say much more. We know them all by heart. We barely know Shema Yisrael by heart. But 40,000 books. And that's not the entire Torah. It's not even 1%. It's not even 1% of 1%. And all of that, times it by 10, all of that is still not all the Torah of those five people. Imagine what we would have if we had the Torah of 24,000. That's what we cry about, by the way. We mourn and grow the beards and go into Omen and all this stuff. Not because Hashem likes beards. So, Rabbi Meir is telling us the following. 
whoever forgets anything of his Torah, anything of his Torah learning, a Ketuv Omer, the Torah says, it's as if he bears guilt for his soul. He put his life on the line. He forgot Torah, his life is on the line. We'll explain in a second. Don't be so worried. It's going to be okay, guys. We'll make it. But beware, where, what's the source? He gives a source. Source is in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 9. He says, Beware and guard your soul exceedingly, lest you forget the things you have, your eyes have seen. Moshe Rabbeinu tells Am Yisrael, I know that I'm not going to be here forever. I'm not going to be your prophet forever. And Hashem is not going to talk to anybody as openly as He talked to me. You're not going to hear His voice in Mount Sinai like you did when I was here. So He'll talk to you a different way. you have different prophets and eventually you're not going to have any prophets. But don't forget what your eyes saw. Not what you heard, but what your eyes saw. The Gemara Masechet Megillah asks a question. How many prophets were there throughout history? Anybody know? At least 1.2 million prophets throughout history. The Gemara in Megillah says it was at least double the amount of men that came out of Egypt. Men between the ages of 20 and 60, there were 600,000. So it says at least double the amount were prophets throughout history. So the Gemara then asks, then why were only 55 mentioned in the Tanakh, 48 males and 7 females? We're missing a few. We only have the Torah of 55 people. Moshe Rabbeinu, 5 books of Moses. After that you have the book of Joshua, Kings and so on and so forth. You have 24 books. 24 books, total 55 prophets. 55 prophets are mentioned throughout the Tanakh. He just said, Amos just said, we had 1.2 million, minimum. Where's their Torah? What happened to their Torah? Wasn't important? It wasn't good? So, the Gemara answers, Hashem only mentions anything in the Tanakh, any verse, a small verse, big verse, Long verse, understandable, not understandable, in Tehilim or in the five books of Moses. He only mentions a verse if it's relevant for eternity. If it's not relevant for eternity, it's not mentioned. Meaning that the prophecy that was given to the 1.2 million prophets was only relevant to their generation. Therefore, it did not become part of the Torah. Because the Torah is eternal. So only the things that were eternal were included in the Tanakh. Meaning that even the smallest, most illegible verse that you possibly have in the five books of Moses, in the Psalms, in all 24 books of the Torah, the most illegible one, 
is eternal. One example would be in Tehilim. In Tehilim 40, verse 9, it says, "Laasot retzuncha Eloai chafatzti v'toratecha b'toch me'ay." Am Yisrael says, or David Amelach says, "To fulfill your will, my God, do I desire, and your God and your Torah is in my innards." Me'ay is me'ayin, like stomach. One funny thing that I heard, but it's not—it's funny, but it's not funny—that I heard from Rabbi Ephraim. This week, he says, in Shavuot, in the holiday of Shavuot, some people fulfill this verse. They fulfill this verse very well. What do they do? They say, we'll come to fulfill your Torah, so we're going to come learn all night to the Beknesset. But instead of learning all night, what do they do? They eat all night. So the Torah, instead of being learned, they're just eating all night. All night they're eating burekas, and cake, and fistukim, and they, all night they're eating. Torah, they learn 10 minutes. But they were there the whole night. The next, the next day, they're going to tell everybody, oh yeah, I was at the Bikrist the whole night. The whole night I was there. I was there, prayed nets. How much Torah did you actually learn? Oh, Torah, I had burekas. Yeah, but how much Torah? I had uh, watermelon. No, but how much Torah did you learn? Gemara, what's this, anything. Did you learn anything? you remember anything? The burekas was very good, actually. So the Torah goes in the stomach, not in the mind. That's what the Fifth is. So you have to understand, Shavuot, tomorrow night, you come into the Beknesset to learn. Whatever, they have food you can eat, no problem eating. But don't forget to, to actually learn the Torah. Enjoy the food. As long as you do blessing, as long as it's a permissible food, no problem. But don't forget to learn. Don't forget the beginning of the verse, the Torah part. So back to our point with the prophets. We see here that Hashem told us that everything that's written in this Torah, especially the five books of Moses, is relevant for eternity. Which is the reason why he worded this verse in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 9, that's used in this Mishnah, the way he did. He said, beware and guard your soul exceedingly, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen. Now, if it was just about us hearing something, just you heard. The problem is, they heard it. We didn't. But the way that the word seen in Hebrew is being written here, it's as if all of us saw it. Meaning, all of our souls saw the words of Hashem. And all of our souls saw the creation of Hashem on a day-to-day basis, even now, to know that there's a God. To know that there's a creator to the creation. It didn't come from nothing. Don't forget that, he's telling you. And it continues, and it says, does this apply, this losing memory, putting my life on the line for losing some divret Torah that I learned, does this also apply if I forgot because the studying was too difficult for him? It was just difficult. I studied, I studied, I studied for five hours. I don't remember the whole thing. Is that also putting my life on the line? That's what he's asking. And he gives an answer 
with another verse, also the continuation of that verse, unless they be removed from your heart all the days of your life, it says the answer is no. If you forgot because it was too difficult for you, then your life is not on the line. Why? Because it was removed from you. It was a natural thing that happened. Not because you uh, weren't careful, but rather because it was a natural thing that happened. So one bears no guilt for his soul unless he sits idly and loses his knowledge as a result of lack of concentration and review. So here, Rabbi Baranes is telling us something that's critical to each and every single one of us. He's telling you, listen. First and foremost, Chak Shavuot is a reminder there's a God. And that God gave you a Torah. Torah has rules. If you fulfill what those rules are, you'll be blessed. But Chazal says that if you don't fulfill what those rules are, you'll be cursed. Because whoever makes a promise and doesn't keep it, the same God that destroyed the generation of the flood will take care of them. Why? Because generation of the flood didn't keep their promise. They didn't keep their promise, Hashem destroyed them. If we don't keep our promise, Hashem Rachem. Then how do we make sure, how does Hashem make sure that we actually keep our promise, our end of the bargain? He's giving us instructions. This is part of the instructions. One of the sages that survived, Rabbi Meir Baranes, is telling us his simple instructions. Don't forget. Read the Torah and just don't forget it. Rabbi Elchanan Wasserman, Zechel Tadik Vivacha, one of the Gdolei Ador, in the Ashkenazi world, he uh, was known as not only someone that was a giant Talmud Chacham that remembered everything, but his Yirat Shemaim that he had was something that you had no enough of admiration would really give it justice. So they asked him, students asked him one time, how do you remember this? All the Midrashim, all the Alachot, Shuchan Aruch, Gemara, everything. You remember everything. How? I mean, listen, I study. I remember everything. How do you do it? Rabbi said, what do you mean? Have you read the Mishnah? It says... Anyone that forgets any part of his Torah learning, his life is on the line. So it's not that I have some great memory. I'm just scared to death. I'm scared to forget, so I make sure I remember. Someone that loves his wife, he's not going to forget to buy her lunch if she told him, listen, can you do me a favor, buy me something. Someone that loves his wife is not going to forget her birthday if it's a big deal in their household. Some couples, birthday is not a big deal. Every week is a birthday. The husband doesn't wait all year round to buy his, his uh, wife a present once, a, once a, a year. A righteous Jew buys his wife a present and then every opportunity. Whether it's Rosh Chodesh, or it's a holiday, or it's just because. 
It's one of the things you have to do in your ketubah. You're waiting for a birthday. Chaval. Your wife's going to be happy once a year. You probably none. Because by the time she's happy, you're already used to being miserable. But the point being here is that if someone loves his wife, he's not going to forget. If someone loves his life, he's not going to forget to breathe. He's not going to forget to breathe. You ever forget to breathe? Anybody ever forget to breathe? No, right? Because you like to live. So Rabbi Meir is telling us the same thing. Rabbi Wasserman is also telling the same thing. If you treated your Torah like it's air, you're not going to forget it. If you treat it as a priority, you're not going to forget it. Why? Because you can live it all the time. So I remember when I first started learning with Rabbi Fahim, I asked him, you know, questions about Moshe Rabbeinu and all the tzaddikim, but especially I was very, very interested about Moshe Rabbeinu. And uh, he told me, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu, Aaron Cohen, Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, David Amelech, all of these giants, it's impossible for us to understand their gdula, their significance. Impossible for us. We can't even understand the wisdom of rabbis of previous generation. Like, for example, the Rogachover uh, rabbi, from less than a hundred years ago, he's the one that met with Einstein. And Einstein said, with his brain, you can make two Einsteins. So the they asked, the, they asked him, they asked the rabbi, how do you know so much Torah? How do you know it? He was too busy learning. So they asked the student, how does he know so much? Because what do you mean, how does he know? He just goes over it, never, he never stops going over it. He just finished now going over it. Because what do you mean he just finished now? Because every eight hours, every eight hours he finishes the entire shas. Every eight hours he finishes the entire shas. A genius finishes the Shas once every seven years. Tamit Chacham, less time. Tamit Chacham is higher than a genius. If you're just learning Daf Yomi, you finish the Shas once every seven years, a little over seven years. If you're Tamit Chacham serious, it takes you less time, especially if you have a lot of time in your hands. Let's say you're something out of this world, a year, a few months, but eight hours... Eight hours. Just to go over one page of the Gemara takes me three hours right now with you guys. Eight hours he finished the entire Shas. Can you understand this? This is just the previous generation. This is just previous generation. This is not 5,000 years ago. This is previous generation. Grandparents. He wasn't even good enough to be a Talmud of the, of the Rambam from 900 years ago. And the Rambam wasn't enough to be a Talmud of Rabbi Akiva of over 2,000 years ago. Because every one of his Talmudim, every one of his students had to be able to revive the dead. And Rabbi Akiva 
got to the highest level of Kedushah, but he didn't have prophecy like Moshe Rabbeinu. From 3,000 years ago. So it's impossible for us to understand the significance of these giants of giants that are mentioned by name, Moshe, Avram, like it's one of our friends. Everybody names their son Moshe, Avram, Avi, Avi, come here, Avi. You know who you're named after? It's Avram Avinu, Avi. Avram Avinu. You know who Avram Avinu was? He was able to create things. Chazal says in the holy books that the forefathers of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov kept the entire Torah even though it was before the Torah. But since they knew that technically they weren't Jews, they were considered Noahides, they weren't allowed to keep the entire Torah. So how did Avram Avinu keep Shabbat if he's not allowed to keep Shabbat? So the holy books say that Avraham Avinu would violate Shabbat once. One time, every Shabbat. How would he violate Shabbat? He didn't have a light switch. Like, you know, all the converts, in the process of converting, they can't keep Shabbat 100%, or the holidays 100%, they have to keep 99%. So what do we tell them? Turn on the light once. Turn it on once and keep the rest. It's good practice, but you can't keep it 100%. Rambam says, a goy that keeps Shabbat, chayav mitah, gets it's a big punishment. Even though there's some people that call themselves rabbis and are starting to change the rules, there's no such thing. Not allowed to keep Shabbat if you're not a Jew. But if you're in the process of converting, you're allowed to keep 99% of it until you're in the last stage. Once you're in the last stage, the Bedin officially said, okay, you're allowed to keep Shabbat, and you're allowed to keep Shabbat. And then you convert. But if I'm a Vinu, 4,400 years ago, he knew all this. So how did he keep Shabbat without keeping Shabbat? Chazal says he used to create a cow every Shabbat. Yet Sefer HaYetzirah, the book of creation, he take whatever, ground, he'd make a cow. That's it. That's how you, you're not allowed to create on Shabbat. So Avraham Avinu created a cow. That's it. He violated Shabbat. Ah, Golem. Golem was still a Golem. He created a cow mooing. But you understand what we're talking about, Avram Avinu? You understand what we're talking about here? Avi, Avi. What Avi, Avi? Avram Avinu! So it's impossible for us to understand the significance of our forefathers. Impossible for us. So when they say something, we should listen. Bimei Baraness is telling us everything that your eyes saw, your neshama saw at Mount Sinai, you better remember it. You better appreciate it. You better do it. Because if you don't, your life is on the line. Your life, mamash, is on the line. When it says, honor your father and your mother, but then it says, Ani Hashem, I'm God. At the end of the verse, it says, Ani Hashem. What, we forgot? Who's telling us this? Hashem says, there's Ten Commandments. It's mentioned a couple of times in the Torah. One of the times when it says, honor your mom and your dad. And the other time it says, honor your dad and your mom. In one of them, he says at the end of the verse, Ani Hashem, I'm God. Honor your mom and your dad. I'm God. 
God. We're hearing your voice, Hashem. You don't have to remind us. They already scared us to death. So Chazal says, why is he mentioning it? He says, honor your mom and your dad. Yes. But he's telling you, I'm God, meaning as long as what Ima and Abba are telling you, I'm not going against God. Ani Hashem. Ima and Abba, amazing. As long as they're doing what Hashem says. Because if Ima and Abba tell you, go violate Shabbat, Ima and Abba are no longer Ima and Abba. Ani Hashem. Hashem comes first. If Ima and Abba are telling you, go violate, do something against Hashem, you don't have to listen to them. There's no honor. There's no honor to sinners. Another Gemara says that every time it says ve'it, and it could have said kabel et avicha ve'imecha. But it says kabel et avicha ve'et imecha. There's an extra word again. It says, what's the et for? What's the extra couple of letters for? Could have said it another way. Chazal says, the extra couple of words to remind you, honor your mom, your dad, and your older brother. Your older brother. Your older brother says, come with me to Minyan, you're going with the Minyan. Come learn Torah, come learn Torah. Go help me out with this, help me with this, no problem. But remember, at the end of the verse where it says, Hashem. Meaning, if older brother says, against Torah, he's not older brother anymore. If everyone does what Hashem wants, Hashem says, I'll be fine in the back. I'll be fine just watching. Listen to your mom. Listen to your dad. Listen to your older brother. No problem. But, if what they're saying, if Ima or Abba or the brother are saying things that are against me, just remember, I'm God. I go first. Who says this? Who's explained to this? The same Chazal. The same sages that told us this exact Mishnah. It says, don't forget what your eyes saw. Don't forget. Because if you forget, your life's on the line. So now the question is, what? Does that mean that I have to remember every single verse I ever wrote, I ever read? Every time I mention a Mishnah, I have to say, al this, number this, number that, page this, page that. Some rabbis... You know, like to mention the verses a lot. And one of them went to Rav Tzion Abba Shaul. And he started talking to Rav Tzion Abba Shaul, Zechet Tzadik Livacha, one of the Gedolei Ador, also one of the Chavutas of Rav Avadia. And uh, started telling him, listen, for the Rav, in Shulchan Aruch, Siman Zeh, Siman Zeh, giving him different, like he doesn't know. So, Rav Tzion says, mentions a verse in Teilim, Simanecha saniti v'toratecha avti. Your signs I hated, but your Torah I loved. He goes, what do you give me signs for? Just tell me tachlis, what do you want? Okay, what halacha? Chilul Shabbat, this, that, tell me the bottom line. You know, I know the verses, don't have to tell me. The Ikar of the Torah is not remembering the page number. Okay, it's nice if you remember the page number. I mentioned the page number because a lot of people ask, like to ask questions. 
So you already have a source. But if you don't remember, you don't remember. You don't have to remember the page number. What do you have to remember? What's this Mishnah talking about? What, everybody has to be like Rav Meir Eliyahu, where every single thing, it's a computer, he mentioned his pages, 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 pages all day. Some other rabbis, all they mention is pages. They don't mention any Torah, they don't mention pages. Page this, pages, page this, pages, page. Okay, what are you saying then? Okay, other than the pages. I'll just take the whole book. Okay, fine, the whole book. No, what are you saying? Sometimes you have rabbis, they give you a source sheet before the lecture. They give you a, a notebook full of things they're going to use, like a speech. In this page, this rabbi said this. In this page, this rabbi said this. In this page, this rabbi said this. And they give you like 30 pages of sources. This is not a problem. It's okay. No problem. What's the problem? The problem sometimes is that there's no conclusion. All they give you is opinions. This one said yes. This one said no. This one said yes. This one said no. So you have three hours shiur or one hour shiur or whatever it is. But at the end of the shiur, everybody came out confused. No one knows what do they want. Okay, so he said yes, he said no, he said yes, he said no, he said yes, he said no. Okay, so who do we listen to? Which one? The cowboys, the Indians, who won? What's the bottom line? Tell me something. You're the rabbi, tell me something. Or, sometimes they give you the source sheet, and they just make up stuff. Like this Rasha Merusha uh, Dweck, Joseph Dweck from London, Shem Rashaim Mirkav. He had a lecture recently, and uh, Hashem, I did not listen to waste my life on listening to the lecture, but I listened to somebody sent me a five minute clip of the lecture. I wanted to vomit. For every second that I listened to it, I had to listen to it, unfortunately, and I wanted to vomit. Just out of five minutes of listening to this. And he also, that's what he does. His style is, before the lecture, he gives a source sheet. He gives a source sheet of all different things, but in essence, it's all bogus. Why is it all bogus? Because what does he say in a lecture? Homosexuality is allowed in Judaism now. It's an honor that we have homosexuals in the world. Hashem didn't really mean it. If we don't become homosexuals or accept homosexuals, then we're going to be left out. They're going to be in all types of garbage. Disgusting to Hashem. And this is a guy that calls himself Orthodox. Shem Echem, he's, he's, he's married to a very, very, he's married to Ovadia's daughter, uh, granddaughter. Miskena, Miskena, the poor lady. And he's also one of the Rashaim that signed a letter, one of the 16 Rashaim that signed a letter against Rav Mizrahi. So now, since he's the one that got everybody together. But why do I mention this? Other than the fact, there's enough already talking about this low life. There's no addition that could be added by me about this guy. He's already ruining his life as it is. What's the addition? What's the, what's the Chidush? You have to have a Chidush. Right? The Chidush here, where are we today? What Beknesset? Breslov Center. Breslov Center follows who? Rabbi Nachman from Breslov. So, Lekutei Maharan, Rabbi Nachman from Breslov, and Lekutei Maharan, right? And Lekutei Maharan, Rabbi Nachman from Breslov says, the people that go against Tamidim Chachamim, in the end, will all be caught with Niuf. What's Niuf? Sex crimes. So all of these Rashaim that went against Rav Mizrahi, 
little by little, you're seeing it, them being exposed. This guy is already exposing himself. The guy is uh, cheering on homosexuality because most likely he's one of them. And I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't doubt anybody else in that group being as well. Simply, not because of uh, insulting or anything like that. Just this is Torah. You're going against Talmud Chacham. You're going against somebody that does equal Rabim all day. This is what you do. So where are we are, Rabim Nachum and Breslov gave us a chidush. What's the chidush? Watch. Eventually, they already talked about Mizrahi a year ago. Look what's happening right now. One after another is falling. And there's other Shem, more. The rest of them will fall very quickly. So now, our sages told us every single thing that happens in this world has to have some type of source in the Torah, has to have some type of connection to the Torah. And if you forget it, you're putting your life on the line. Not if you forget the page. You know, there's no halakha to remember every single page. You don't have to remember the page number. What do they say? What do they mean by remembering it? Remember the dinim. Remember the laws. Because if you don't remember the laws, it could be a chilul Shabbat. So for example, I'll give you a couple examples. In the Gemara, Sechet Shabbat, page 11, Very interesting discussion. 11b. Talks for a couple of pages, really, about a tailor leaving his house, tailor, to fun. He sews. Leaving his house with the needle still stuck to his shirt. You know, he sews. A needle stuck to his shirt. On Friday. It goes over and over. This is actually part of the originally part of the Mishnah, and then it goes into the Gemara. They they discuss it. It talks about how this is not allowed. Now we just talked about here that the only thing that's mentioned in the Torah are things that are relevant to all of us. Somehow, some way, it's relevant to all of us. Maybe not today, but tomorrow. Maybe not tomorrow, but next week. Maybe not next week, next year. The reason why you have to learn the entire Torah is because it's all relevant to you. Even the mitzvot of the Kohanim. Why? But the Mikdash is going to be built. You have to watch. See if they're, what they're doing. Maybe you're a Kohen. So, here we have the Gemara is spending an immense amount of resources talking about whether someone is allowed to leave the house on Friday night before Shabbat. Before Shabbat, with a needle stuck to his shirt. Instead of holding it in his hand, it's stuck to his shirt. That's where he left it. Now before the shiur, Amos and I were learning a little bit. We're trying to figure out, who cares about the guy's needle stuck to the shirt? Either take it out or leave me alone. What do I care about your needle? How's it? Am I tafran? I'm a sower. I'm starting to sow next week. What do I care about the guy's needle? No. You're not allowed because you were part of the shield almost. So who's going to give me the answer? Why do I care about the guy with the needle? 
Huh? It's not part of? It's not part of the clothing, right? Ah, Zaku Tamit Chacham. Point is, what the Gemara is telling you here is that if he walks out with this needle, he could very, on Friday, before Shabbat, but it's already Friday night, it's getting to the point of Shabbat, he may forget the needle in his shirt. And if he continues to walk around with this needle in his shirt on Shabbat, it's Chilul Shabbat. It's Chilul Shabbat. Why is it mentioning a needle? Why isn't it mentioning he lift a, a boulder on his head? He lifted, uh, I don't know, a horse on his head. He says, because Hashem even cares about the needle. If he cares about the needle, he cares about the boulder and the car and the house and everything else you're lifting. He cares about the needle. Why wouldn't he care about the bigger things you're carrying? Hmm? If you're in a roof, you're allowed, but in general, not allowed. But now, we'll expand on this chidush. In the uh, biography of Maran Arabovadia, on page 495 and 496, it tells of a story of how. Rav Moshe from France went to Rav Amar to go speak to Rav Vadia and ask him, are Jews in France allowed to use a certain type of belt on Shabbat? Why does he care about this belt? Because it became a minag in France to carry the key for the house. They didn't have any roof. They didn't have any roof. And for anyone who doesn't know what an Yeruv is, it's usually it's like a string they put in a neighborhood or a community, which in essence makes the whole community as if it's all one roof and you're allowed to carry. But if there's no Yeruv, you can't carry. So in France, unfortunately, they didn't have any roof, So you weren't able to even carry your house keys. Carry the house keys, it's, it's considered Yisuv Shabbat. Violation of Shabbat, same thing as lighting fire. So many people that were scared to leave their house open, they would put the key inside their belt. Inside the belt. Or connect it to their belt. But the Shulchan Aruch, and the Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Yosef Kaur says, it's not allowed. Not allowed to put, hide it inside your belt because it's not a part of the belt. So, Rav Moshe asked Rav Amar, to go to Rav Avadia and say, look, the French, the French Jews, made a belt where the key, the house key, is actually a part of the belt. It's not just being hidden in the belt. It's a part of the belt. Where without the key, the belt doesn't work. So it's a critical part of the belt. So can we use this belt with the key? Where do you go? Do you go to Gdolado? They went to Rav Avadia. So he goes to Ravadia, Ravadia looks at the belt for a few minutes, he says, according to the Shulchan Aruch, not allowed to use this belt. So Rav Amar says in the story here, 
Rav Amal says, no, no, but Kvod Arav, maybe the belt that the Shulchan Aruch was talking about was a belt where you're purely only hiding the key in there, not a belt where the key is part of the belt. So this is a chidush. So Rav Avadya, according to the book, says, okay, so I said that Rabbi Yosef Karo doesn't, in a Shulchan Aruch says, it's not allowed, but Rav Amar doesn't like it. Shulchan Aruch says this, but Rav Amar doesn't like it. He repeated it a few times. He turned around and looked at some books. And he turned around and he said, okay, what else do you have? What else do you have questions? And Rav Amar understood from there that he didn't want to give him an answer right there and then a final answer right there and then, but he's going to give him an answer down the road. He's going to do some research. And he left. He asked him some other questions. He got the answers for the other questions. And he left Aravadya's study without an answer about the belt. And according to the book, on page 495 and 496, it says that he found out that a few days later, from Rav Moshe, from France, the one that originally sent him on this mission, that Rav Avadya contacted him and told him the belt is allowed. The belt is permitted. You got me so far? Now, it happened to be that I also, at the same time I finished this book, I also read Yakut Yosef, and I got to this Alakha. And if you look at Yakut Yosef, which was originally started by Rabbi Vadya and then continued by his son, Rabbi Tzach Yosef, if you look at Siman 301b, Alakha 59, on Alachot Shabbat, it says the following. A house key may not be carried on Shabbat into the street in areas not surrounded by any oof, even if the key is connected to one's belt. Sephardic Jews may not be lenient in this, even if the key is used to fasten the belt in place. And certainly, it does not serve any such purpose. If it doesn't serve any such purpose. So here he's specifically talking about this story. Here he's specifically saying, not only are you allowed to use the key if it's hidden in the belt, even if the key is part of the belt and is used to close it, there's no more important part of a belt than closing the belt. Without, without a belt that doesn't close, not a belt. It's a rope. So he's saying specifically, if the key is used to close the belt, you're still not allowed to use it. Wait a second, we have a contradiction. The biography of Ravavadya says, he said yes. Allah book, Yalkut Yosef, says no. And he says there's no leniency. There's no leniency for Sephardics. Who are we talking about in France? Sephardics. No. No leniency. No. So they're allowed to violate Shabbat? He didn't say that. He would have said it. He would have added What's the Chidush? Chidush is, reality is, it's not allowed. It's not allowed 
And there's two things you need to learn. One thing you need to learn is you don't learn halachot from biographies. If there's an halacha mentioned in a biography or in some type of sikvuret tzadikim, but it's contradicted by a book that's halacha book, like the Shulchan Aruch, Yalkut Yosef, uh, or any of the other uh, major uh, poskim throughout history, if you have halacha mentioned in a story versus halacha to a book that's only full of halachot, you listen to the book of halachot. You listen to Shulchan Aruch, to Yalkut Yosef, to all of the things that are mentioned, not the biography. You don't learn halachot from biographies or from stories. Even though sometimes, most of the time, they're right. In general, the, the, the book of Alachot takes precedence. Always. That's number one thing that you have to learn. Second of all, what could have happened in this particular story is that it could have been something specific that he told a specific Keilah, or he didn't. I'm not really sure. We don't know. That's why the Alachot book takes precedence. Because there's different, sometimes there's certain advice that's given to certain people, certain advice is not given to certain people, but people say, a lot of people say things in people's names. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying Rav, Rav Amar said something that's not true. All I'm saying is that it could be something specific to a Kilah, it could be something specific to a Rav, I'm not really sure. All I know is that according to the Alakha book, it's not allowed. And according to even the story itself, he said it's not allowed. So now, why is this very, very important to us? It's because a lot of people today say things in people's names, in Tzadikim's names. And much of it is falsehood. A lot of it is outright lies. Because there's one Rasha Rabbi that I know in uh, Boca Raton who decided to tell people that Rav Yitzchak Yosef, the Rishon Letzion, the head rabbi of Israel right now, Rav Vadya's son, the head rabbi's son, the former Gedolador's son, the head rabbi of today, Rav Yitzchak Yosef, told him personally, nonetheless, personally told him, you're allowed to drive on Shabbat. If it's going to be desert, you're allowed to drive on Shabbat. Now, stupidity like this, you don't need to verify. Nonsense like this, you don't need to verify. You don't need to verify stuff like this. Why? Because it's outright, mamash, it's like you have to be retarded to actually believe such a thing. So, why? Why is he saying this, this guy? Why is this rabbi saying it? Because he's been teaching a class for 15 years. And not one of the people in the class is keeping Shabbat. Fifteen years they go into the class, not one of them is keeping Shabbat till this day. And all of them have become his friends. And he feels bad at all Mechalel Shabbat. So what did he say to them? No, don't worry, you're allowed. Rabbi Tzach Yosef said you're allowed to keep Shabbat. This is stupidity. This is nonsense. This is complete shtuyot. So again, a lot of people say things in people's names. You have to verify. Even if it's written in a book. Of course, this was 100% siyat dishmaya to find an interesting story in a biography. And then incidentally, as Hashem would have it, actually finding out the real halakha in the halakha book the same day. So, I mean, obviously this is uh, stuff, stuff like this doesn't happen every day. Point being is that you have to always verify. Always verify. What's your question? Yes, but he would. You know, anytime, anytime, anytime he mentions that, anytime that he go that he goes against his father, or anytime that he's there, he would, uh, he would, he would, it would be mentioned. I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. But anytime it's something that's a contradiction, it's mentioned, because first of all, this is based on 
Ravadia's uh, work. That's number one. Second of all, second of all, it's a uh, if there's a contradiction between the two, it's it's noted. It's noted. Oh, this is this opinion over here. This opinion is different than the opinion that's written it somewhere else. It's noted. They don't just like aimlessly. This book says this. They're not irresponsible uh, poets. You know, they're not like some uh, you know some guy who just wrote a book. Salachot. This is Mount Sinai. This is people's life or death. This is this is either karet or olam haba. It's not, it's not a joke. This is the point of this whole Mishnah. This whole Mishnah is telling, don't forget your Dvar Torah. Not don't forget the page. Not don't forget who said it. Not don't forget uh, if you went to the shoe, you're going to go to the shoe. He says, don't forget the Dinim. Why? Because it's either going to be Olam Abba or Gehenom forever. That's the difference here. Your life's on the line. Why is a life on the line? Life's on the line because if you forget the Din, if you forget... Whether you're allowed to put the pin, the needle, in your shirt or not, it's the difference between violating Shabbat or keeping Shabbat. You understand? If you forget to check the cow the right way, you forget to check the lungs, it's either you eat taref or kasher. It's life or death difference. It's not like a, uh, you know, the, the, the just, uh, listen, now you forgot to put the dot in dot com. And the email didn't go through. No, it's life or death. Life or death. So that's that's the that's the key that we're trying to understand. Now, how do we get to a point in this lowly generation that people that so-called rabbis give you a source sheet full of sources for their nonsense? And at the end of the shiur, either everyone's confused or everyone became a kofil. Someone like Dweck, Imach Shimo, people that come out of that shiur, either they're dumbfounded, they don't know if they went into a rabbi's place or into a Studio 54 nightclub. They're not really sure where they went. The guy just promoted homosexuality in an orthodox shul, Hashem Elohim. You don't know what just happened here. You have other rabbis are promoting Christian missionaries to come to uh, to come to a shul, give us a lecture about life, the purpose of life. You have no idea what just happened here. What do you mean? What is something wrong with you? What happened? What happened? Where do we where do we go wrong? So over two hundred years ago, this was already written about. Two hundred years ago, this was already written about. In the book that I keep mentioning to you guys in the last few weeks, it's Mamash, the Torah of Musal. If you actually understand this book, and you implement it, you're already in Gan Eden. No, this is all Israel, by Rabbi Israel Misalant. So in the, in the beginning, he says the following, If we look throughout the generations, we see that the studying of Torah is still being done. Studying of Torah still being done by Hashem, even till now, almost 200 years after him, 170 years or so after him. Oh Hashem, you still have Yeshivot, you still have Avrechim, you still have 
small yeshiva, big yeshiva, tamidim chachamim. You have people that learn on their own. You have shurim in the middle of the night. You have Baruch Hashem. We'd always like to have more, but Baruch Hashem, there's still people learning Torah. We're not in the times of the Romans or the Greeks, Yimach Shimon Vizicham, where we have to like hide. We're not in the times of Siberia, where people had to amash, put themselves, put their life on the line so the KGB doesn't catch them and kill all of them for learning Gemara. They used to take one page among a whole group, one page of Gemara, a group of people, 10, 15 people, start learning the one page of Gemara over and over again. They didn't have entire shahs just hanging there collecting dust like we do. One page for the entire group. Why one page? Listen, if anybody knocks on the door, it's definitely the KGB. If it's the KGB, everybody takes a piece of the Gemara, eats it. Why? Because if they catch us with one page of Gemara, they kill all of us. We have the entire shahs just sitting collecting dust. Almost 2,700 dapim sitting there doing nothing. They are begging for one page. And they wanted to put their life on the line to study the one page over and over again a thousand times if they could. So learning Torah, it's no shortage, Baruch Hashem. You want to learn? It's available to you, click of a button. You press a button, you have Torah. You want to go? There's a Shul Torah somewhere all the time. But Rabbi Yisrael Misaran is not talking about learning the Torah shortage. He says, a close scrutiny of the general situation of Torah and heavenly fear reveals that the spiritual degradation of fear of heaven is much more rampant and destructive than the basement of Torah study. And the ramifications of this weakness are far more serious In the beginning he was saying Torah led you to Yirat Shaman. You learn Torah, you get to Yirat Shaman. You want to connect to Hashem? Shlomo Melech told you the key. Very simple. Rashid Chochmah, Yirat Hashem. Beginning of wisdom, fear of Hashem. You don't fear Hashem, you have no wisdom. You can know math, you can know science, you can build rocket ships, could be uh, Tesla times a thousand. Doesn't make a difference. You don't fear Hashem, you have no chokhmah. You have no wisdom. Nothing. It says, Rabbi Yisrael Yisrael is saying, Torah and Yirat Shemaim always went, they were like brothers, twin brothers. They always went together. But he's saying here, if we review it and scrutinize what's happened in recent generations, this is already talking about almost 200 years ago. It says the situation with Torah study didn't change that much. We're holding our own. But heavenly fear has gone down drastically. And the fact that it's gone down is much more dangerous than if Torah would have went down. Why? Unfortunately, however, fear of heaven has dramatically fallen from the most pristine heights to the most ignoble depths. The precipitous decline has been frightening to behold with nothing and no one to hinder the descent. The paths of fear are in mourning. The gates of divine service are desolate and we are drowning in sin. 
immorality rules over us with unassailable strength and impunity, corrupting us and ruining every good portion of God's inheritance. The foundation of fear and heavenly worship is engulfed in flames. The slanderers have gained power, while those who fear the Almighty's word are derided and despised. Virtue itself is corrupted, and falsehood cloaks itself in a garment of righteousness. Men of violence control the land, and truth is vanquished. Translation in simple English. Although the Torah is being learned, it's being learned. Unfortunately, Hashem Elohim, it's being learned like a secular subject. It's being learned like it's just general knowledge, like it's math, philosophy, science, architecture, history. Because why? Because Yerat Shemayim has been removed. They're learning the stories, they're learning the halachot, and because there's no Yerat Shemayim, they pick and choose what they want to believe. And without Yerat Shemayim, he says, the foundation of fear and heavenly worship is engulfed in flames. We're doomed. He also continues the Torah itself is not invulnerable for without fear the vitality of Torah will ultimately be debilitated as well may Hashem have mercy it says without fear of Hashem unfortunately the Torah wouldn't be able to hold even the Torah the one we got 3,300 years ago without fear of Hashem without teaching Yirat Shamaim won't hold up. It'll become a subject. May Hashem have mercy. And he says, as far as physical illness is concerned, medical science, even in his day, 160 years ago, 170 years ago, medical science has made wondrous advances. Research labor continuously to expand the horizons of medical knowledge. There's as many there's as many diseases exist in the world as there are physicians and remedies. Just as many sicknesses, there's just as many doctors. No problem. You have a sickness, there's a doctor to help you. Even in his day, he says. There's a pill fabric. Today it's even more. If he was here. You think there's only there's only medicine. There's so many medicines. Big Pharma is making so much money creating new medicines every other day. Everybody, every average person is on six pills. However, such is not the case concerning the soul and its afflictions. There is a vast increase in illness, in spiritual illness, and the diseases are even more severe. The weakness has become an endemic. The paths of healing are obstructed. There are no doctors to aid us. And there's no process and there's no procedure. He says the 
spiritually, we've gotten much, much sicker. And he's talking about 107 years ago. There were still some people with Ruach HaKodesh in his generation. Him himself included. There were still people that were, had Ruach HaKodesh. He's saying the disease is so much so bad right now because there's no Yerat Shamayim. The whole system is about to collapse. What would he say about today? When an orthodox rabbi says we could bring a Christian missionary to our shul or we could celebrate the homosexuals or we could publicly deface rabbis that do kiruv, we could publicly deface anybody that teaches musal, he would say, you know what he would say? You know what he would say? No? No. He would say nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. Haters of Musar have always existed. The idea is mentioned in Divrei Yehoshua, section 1, chapter 7. It says there are seven things that prevent a person from tasting and recognizing the inherent value of Musar. The biggest deterrent is jealousy. There are many people who interfere with the study of Musar by fabricating claims against it. They create stuff like, no, no, it's too hard for the generation. It'll turn people off. They're not going to come to Beknesset anymore. You can't tell them that. It's too much. It's too this. It's too that. Or they start telling you, like, no, no one is righteous enough to teach Musar anymore. That's a lot of people say this. You're only allowed to teach Musar if you're perfect. Okay, the problem is no one in history has ever been perfect, including Moshe Rabbeinu. But he taught Musar better than everybody. What are you saying, that he wasn't able to teach either? So he's telling them they're fabricating claims against it. False allegations appeal to people who are not sufficiently familiar with Musar to realize how vital it is, especially those who have never seen or tasted its radiance. Certainly their claims do not stem from understanding wisdom. Rather they derive from the corrupt wellsprings of jealousy which consume like fiercely burning flames and are as oppressive as Gehenom. Which by the way, this took this book also talks a little bit about Gehenom, which is very interesting. Now, this leads me to my next point, and we'll finish off with that. In this Mishnah, he's telling you, don't forget your Torah, you're putting your life on the line. But if you forget it because just you're studying too much, you didn't remember everything, it's not the end of the world, just pray for it, eat right, Study hard, repeat, repeat, repeat. Go over things over and over and over again. Never give up. But you have plenty of shulim to teach you about that. And the Rambam's Shmona Prakim, he mentions in the uh, introduction to Chelek, the end of the book talk, talking about the 13 principles of faith in detail he talks about how 
the Mishnah by Antigonus Ish Sochom, who said you should serve Hashem, not because you're going to get a reward, but rather serve Hashem because it's the right thing to do. Now Rabbi Yisraeli Salat in the same book on page 77, he says, logically, if you understand this Rambam, if you understand this Mishnah, if you understand the Mishnah we learned today, and you understand even a small, a small inkling of what Gehenom is, what the punishment is for not listening, forget the reward. If you understand a little bit of the fire that consumes the wicked souls in Gehenom. Of the coals that never end as far as fire, they feed the people who are just mevatel Torah, they just waste their time and don't study Torah. If you just understand the tiniest punishment, tiniest punishment, we're not talking about the biggest punishment, we're not talking about the seventh level of Gehenom, no one ends, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the smallest level of Gehenom. A B-side says, if you understand that, just not going there is enough of a reward. Just not being punished, that's already enough of a reward. You want top of it, you want panasah, you want refuah shlema, you want kids, you want this, you want that, you want olam haba, you want everything. Just not being punished is enough of a reward. Shavuot, Hashem is telling you, remember my Torah. Remember me. Because if it was simply up to man, even the most righteous among men, just not getting punishment would be enough of a reward. But because I am Hashem Barach and I love you, not only not looking to punish you, I'm looking to reward you. So please, don't forget me. Any questions? Make? Why? Because the, you have to be at a certain level to receive holiness. And even though all of Am Yisrael were holy, at, uh, by the time they got to Mount Sinai, the only Moshe Rabbeinu was uh, at the level that he was able to hear Hashem's voice as he speaks. The, uh, the rest of Am Yisrael were not at that level yet. They were high, but they weren't at that level yet. But this was also to show them that Moshe Rabbeinu was different from them and different from every person that ever lived. Yes. And those who may be the righteous to get things, that's, that's, that's okay. Like, if you 
Someone off. The fact that they are claiming an identity that's not theirs and they are judging Jews um, unfavorably. unfavorably. The Rambam also talks about them. The Rambam talks about them in the, in, the, the, uh, in the same exact place. And he says the reason why a non Jew is not allowed to keep Shabbat unless he's looking to convert is because Shabbat was specifically given to Amisad. One of the sources, as a matter of fact, uh, that you can see that talks about how Shabbat was specifically given to Am Yisrael is in this same Gemara, uh, Masechet Shabbat, page 10b. It says, there's an halacha in Judaism, there's a law in Judaism, where, Anoten matana lechavero tzarich leodiyo, shenemar ladad ki ani Adonai mekadishchem. Someone who's looking to give a gift to his friend, has to tell him. He's going to give him a gift. Where do we learn this from? We learn this from Hashem telling Am Yisrael, I am your God who makes you holy. So the Gemara says, wait, but God gave us Shabbat. There was also a gift. How did he uh, announce it to us? And it actually talks about the Midrash, where he talks about how Hashem goes to Moshe Rabenu and he says, Moshe, he gave us Shabbat before he even gave us the Ten Commandments. He says, Moshe, I have, a great tre- I have a great present in my treasure chest, and its name is Shabbat. And I want to give it to Am Yisrael. Go and tell her. Go tell Am Yisrael I'm about to give her the biggest treasure I have in my treasure chest. And its name is Shabbat. So now, the Gemara asks, why was it necessary for God to inform the Jews that he was giving them this gift? Why do you have to give it to them? Why do you have to tell them? Just give it to them. Ten Commandments. Number four, keep Shabbat. Why do you have to make an announcement, a special meeting with Moshe Rabbeinu days, weeks before? Weeks before, while they're still in the desert, they're traveling in between Egypt to Mount Sinai, they haven't gotten there. We got Shabbat. Why? Wait until we get to Mount Sinai. What are you so excited about? On top of that, why are you even telling us? Just like you told us, I'm your only God. Don't worship other gods. Don't use my name in, in vain. Worship, you know, uh, honor your parents. Don't steal. Don't murder. And so on and so forth. All those things. You didn't give us an announcement about those things. Why do you have to tell us? Why? My answers, the reward for observing Shabbat would not likely become revealed on its own. It is of this reward that Hashem instructed Moses to inform the Jewish people. So two things we learn here. First and foremost, he says, 
keeping Shabbat, if it was like it was like the other laws, then he wouldn't announce it to us. First and foremost, he's telling us to keep Shabbat. The reward is greater than anything else. Because if you don't keep Shabbat, even if you keep everything else, everything else is worthless. That's one. So that's already makes the reward for Shabbat on a different level. One. Two. The only way you're going to be able to know how to keep Shabbat is through my oral Torah. Because if you look at the entire Tanakh, not just the five books of Moses, the entire Tanakh, there's not one detail of how to keep Shabbat. We have no idea how to keep Shabbat from the written Torah. It doesn't say, listen, don't carry on Shabbat. It doesn't say mukze. doesn't say don't write. Doesn't say, it just says no fire. That's it. And keep Shabbat and remember it. Okay, I remember it. Shabbat, I'll keep it. How do I keep it? I keep it in a, in a, in a, in a cage. What do I keep? keep it in a room? I keep it on the calendar? How do I keep it? So this actual Gemara is one of the biggest proofs against all of those people that are trying to create new rules. Saying, no, the Shabbat is for everyone. Because Hashem created the world in seven days, meaning Shabbat was already around in the seventh day. This is the proof against it. Why? Because you wouldn't know how to keep Shabbat without the oral Torah. And if you read the oral Torah, the oral Torah is specifically saying, tell Am Yisrael that I have a present for them. Not a present for everyone. I have a present for them. And how to keep this present, I give them in the oral Torah that's for them to read only. Not for everyone, just for them. And that's why in the written Torah I said it's a covenant between me and them. Not between me and everyone. So all those people that are just deciding to pick and choose different parts of the Torah that they like and they keep it, and on top of it, they tell the Jews that they're wrong. Like some people send me emails or make comments against me uh, saying that, oh... You shouldn't this, you shouldn't that. All this nonsense that people make up. The Rambam also talks about them too. And he says, the Jews that keep Shabbat, have a lavah, have this, have great things. The goyim that keep the seven laws of Noah because Hashem said it. Hashem of the world to come. They're the wisest among all of them. A Gentile, a Noahide that keeps Shabbat, chayav mitah. Why is he chayav mita? Why is he uh, gets a heavenly death penalty? It's because because if he's just keeping Shabbat, he's violating Torah in a few ways. One way, one way, he's creating a new religion. If you're a Jew, you have to keep Shabbat. If you're a Gentile, you can't keep Shabbat. So if you're a Gentile and you want to keep Shabbat, you have now officially created a new religion. Create a new religion, chayav mita, death penalty. That's one. Two, second reason the Rambam mentions is because you're stealing, you thief. Hashem specifically said, present, I have in my treasure chest, for who? For Israel. So you, Noahide, you might be righteous, you might be trying to be righteous, but you keep Shabbat, you're stealing. It's not for you to take. So now, anyone that wants to keep Shabbat, I will personally do my best to help you convert. Convert, I'll help you convert. I don't charge. We do everything for free. The Bedin charges money, not me. I'll help you convert. If you want to keep Shabbat, keep all of Judaism. No problem. We're not against anything. 
But don't make a new religion. Want to be Jewish? Be Jewish. Want to be a Goy? Be a Goy. Whatever. Whatever you are. If you're a Jew, you have to keep Shabbat. This is not a question. If you're a Gentile, you want to keep Shabbat, you have to, you have to convert. So, I heard Rabbi Singer, Rabbi Tobia Singer, who has an interesting way of looking at it. He said, of course you're not, the, the Gentiles are not allowed to keep Shabbat. But it seems like in this generation, it's the first time in history that people are pretending to be Jewish. In the old days, it was the Jews pretending to be Christians so don't, no one kills them. In this generation, people pretend to be Jewish for some reason. And he says, interestingly, Hashem made it so difficult to keep Shabbat, keep all of the halachot of Shabbat, that unless you're like, Mamash, you're studying halachot Shabbat like a Jew, you actually go to Kola, you go to Yeshiva, you go, you learn, you'll put yourself, all these things, you're definitely going to violate it. And it seems like Hashem made it so difficult to keep Shabbat like you're supposed to, specifically for the mistaken generation we live in today. Why? Because many people are going to try to keep Shabbat and he doesn't want to kill them. The ones that are supposed to keep Shabbat don't want to keep it. So unfortunately, they have a problem. But the ones that are not supposed to keep it are trying to keep it. And Hashem says, listen, I know you're trying to do good. And just like he said to the king of Kuzan, the Kuzari king, your intentions are good, but your deeds aren't. I like the fact that you're trying to get close to me. You want to even keep Shabbat. You want to, you want, you want to keep my Torah? Either convert or be a Noahide. You can't be in between. No in between. Yes or no? Next. You could keep kosher. You could eat kosher food. There's no problem with it. Kosher was not a present. Kosher is not a covenant between Am Yisrael and Hashem. Uh, even though a non-Jew is allowed to eat non-kosher, he's allowed to even eat uh, pig, he's allowed to eat shrimp, he's allowed to eat all of these things which Jews are not allowed to eat. Uh, the only f- prohibition for non-Jews in regards to food is that they can't eat living animals. Other than that, they can eat whatever they want, but if they want to keep kosher, eat kosher. It won't have as much of an impact on their neshama as it does on the Jew, but nonetheless, they can keep kosher if they want. It's, that's, kosher is not a covenant between Am Yisrael and Hashem. That's just a law that we have. Whereas a uh, tefillin, uh, Shabbat, uh, those are covenants between Hashem and uh, Am Yisrael. It does. Like I said, it affects the Jew. It doesn't affect the Goy as much. Right. He's going, no, so what's the words in the, in the Gemara, in Gemara, in Gemara, Masichet Sota, and also actually in this week's parasha, Parashat Naso, Parashat Naso, it says that if someone is not generous enough to give the tzedakah that he owes the Kohen, he's supposed to give the Kohen tzedakah. In today's generation, the Kohanim are considered the people that learn Torah. Because um, we don't have Kohen Gadol anymore, we don't have the Mikdash, so the Kohanim are considered the people that learn Torah. 
He says that if someone doesn't give the, the right share uh, to the Marcel, to the Kohanim, he's going to end up bringing his wife, his, uh, his wife is going to end up cheating on him. So what does one thing have to do with the other? So we learn in this week's parasha, Parashat Naso, that in the old days when a um, woman was suspected of cheating on a husband, she's called a wayward woman, or Isha Sota, the husband, after warning her and having witnesses, seeing that she's uh, been enclosed with a man, that's not a husband, twice, uh, after warning, there's no, ver- there's no 100% that she was cheating. It's just in a closed room with him. So the only way to verify is they would have to go to the Kohen Gadol. And they go to Kohen Gadol, and the Kohen Gadol will do a few things. The first thing is, is that he would take the holy water that they used to wash their hands and their feet before they did the service in the Bet HaMikdash, and he'd uh, actually have a cup full, and he'd take Shem Hashem, he'd take the name of Hashem on a scroll, he'd write it on a scroll, and he would take it and he would dip it into the water. So he'd let the ink from the name of Hashem run and be erased, which you're not allowed to erase Hashem's name, but Hashem said, for this you're allowed. For this mitzvah you're allowed to erase my name and have the ink go into the holy water, why? Because now the woman that's suspected of cheating has to drink it. If she cheated, after she drinks it, she immediately blows up. She blows up and she dies. If she didn't cheat, if she didn't cheat, then she gets a blessing from the Kohen Gadol. If she had ugly kids, she'll have beautiful kids. If she didn't have kids, she'll have kids, and so on and so forth. Now what happened, somebody asked me one time before I learned Masechet Sotah, Somebody asked me, what happens if the husband's cheating? Also, she's cheating and he's cheating. What happens? It's a good question. Why? Okay, listen, if, if she's cheating, obviously she's a rishai. But if he's cheating, he's also a rasha. So why kill her and not him? Measure for measure. So the Gemara talks about, Gemara Masechet Sotah talks about and says, if he's wicked, even if she's wicked, she doesn't die. She drinks the water, she doesn't die. Doesn't die. Why? Measure for measure. He's a rasha, she's a reshait. You deserve each other. So, point being is that if, what does it have to do with the guy that's not giving tzedakah? says, if you're giving tzedakah to the Kohen Gadol, then you're doing, you obviously are showing emunah. But if you're not giving tzedakah to the Kohen Gadol, you're going to get to a day, we're going to have to use the service. How are you going to use the service? by bringing your wife to see if she's cheating on you. As a punishment for not giving tzedakah, you're going to have to use the coin for a service. And then what's going to happen? You're going to feel bad. Why are you going to feel bad? It's like, hey, the coin's like, oh, I didn't know you still live in town because I haven't gotten your tzedakah, your maser, in three years. I didn't know you still live in town. Oh, now I know you live in town. Oh, sorry for the news. Your wife is cheating on you. You should have given me tzedakah. You understand? Ten lo mishelo. Because like we learned last week, give him from his, because you and yours are his. Give Hashem the tzedakah, because really everything you have and you yourself are his anyway. So why are you cheap on tzedakah? Yes. It's not allowed. No, I mean, it's not, 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 to, not to a point, not to a point, no, it's not chilul shabbat like fire per se. It's not, it's not chilul shabbat like fire. But you're not allowed to do, talk to Yivrechol, in general. You're not allowed to talk to Yivrechol. It's not karet. No, it's not karet. 
Just you're not allowed to talk divrei chol. It also depends on what kind of divrei chol. If you're talking business, then it's business. Then you're working on Shabbat. Like if you're talking about, listen, this uh, house really looks good. I'm thinking I'm going to rent it. I think I'm going to buy it. I think I'm going to invest in it. I think I'm going to uh, sell it. Then you're talking business. That's working. Even though it's talking, it's working. Then that's 100% Chilul Shabbat. That's correct. Uh, but if you're just talking about, listen, you know, you hear about this uh, degenerate uh, golfer that got caught uh, uh, drunk driving at 11 o'clock in the afternoon and he has a quarter billion dollars in the bank. Remember him? If you talk about that, it's not correct, but it's definitely not a mitzvah. Definitely not a mitzvah. He's not, uh, he's not worried about rent. He's worried about the cops beating him up right now in jail. It's not good, obviously. It's not good. It's, it's, it's awful. It's a, it's a stupid thing to do. You are keeping Shabbat because you know that Hashem created the world in seven days, but you're talking about, some, you're talking about nothing instead. I mean, it's, it's an oxymoron. It's a, uh, telling your wife you love her while you're hugging your girlfriend. Something wrong with you. You know, it's saying you're keeping Shabbat, keep Shabbat. Number one most important thing to do on Shabbat is to learn Torah. It's not the food, it's not the Kiddush, it's not the Shul. Tefillah is important, it's not as important as Torah. Torah can make it Kulam. Torah is more important than everything else. Learning Torah is more important than everything else. If you are a Talmud Chacham in the days of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, you are not obligated to pray. You're only obligated to learn Torah. But since we're not in the level of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, then we have to pray also. But in those days, the Gemara says actually in, uh, in a few places that certain sages would not have to stop their studying for learning Torah because their Torah was too valuable. Us, we don't have the same focus as they do, so we have to stop ourselves, we have to pray, and we have to learn. But as far as uh, what can, you know, what the... Comparison? There's no comparison. Learning Torah is above everything. That was a chidush for me, you told me. I didn't hear that. But I know that the uh, there was several places that it says that the Dayanim would have certain meetings and they wouldn't stop the meetings even if it meant that uh, they would uh, skip prayer. Because being a Dayan, it's also learning Torah. Yeah. Is he a famous rabbi? No, he's not a famous rabbi. No, he's not a famous rabbi. The Rasha, Ben Shemayim, is famous right now for saying, for saying, for saying, for saying stupid things. Hopefully, that's Chuvah. That's why I didn't mention his name. Alachot of business on Shabbat. If you're learning the alachot of business on Shabbat from a book. That's Torah book, no problem. No problem. Gemara, Baba Metziah, Baba Kama, Baba Batra, all three of those tractates talk about business. There's also a few books that uh, talk about business in, in Judaism. You're allowed, but uh, a, um, it's a uh, make sure you're focusing on that and not on the real estate deal you want to do. And also, again, the biggest thing is to focus on what you're even doing. You know, if, if, if your whole week, you have six days a week to learn the learn business, do business, and uh, learn the halachot of business. So it's probably better to learn it on a different day, but if you're learning it, no problem. It's not a problem.
just a, uh, be careful not to put yourself in front of any uh, obstacles. only one way to be holy. One way. Everything else, and it doesn't matter who tells you, only one way that Hashem specifically gives us the instructions of how to be holy. He says, be holy because I am holy. Parashat Kedushim. How? How are we holy? Learning and fulfilling His Torah. Everything on the outside is extra. Everything on the outside is extra. Um... Now, I'll give you an example. There are certain people in the world, no mention of names if you figure out the names, because the crowd that's watching doesn't know what we're talking about. Uh, there are certain people that are very big makpidim. They're very, very stringent on the tfilot, on praying. Praying. They are serious about prayer. They, they mean business on prayer. So sometimes when it's like Sfirata Omer, Sfirata Omer, they're counting the Omer, which is in essence a prayer that should take no more at best if you're a tzaddik. Three minutes. Four minutes. Max. You're like giant. You're like, Amini Moshe Rabbeinu, four minutes. Counted the Omer. Today, Baruch Hashem, Sfirata Omer. Today, 48. Today, 49. Today, 36. Whatever the number of the Omer is. You have 50 days, count the Omer. After that, it's a mitzvah de Rabbanan to read Tehilim, one practice of Tehilim. And then, Anavikar, it's like a few things. The real mitzvah is just counting the Omer. But if you're a tzaddik, Yisodolam, you're going to take your time. You're going to say, Baruch, wait 80 minutes. Atah, Hashem, so now, you're going to try to do that. Now, if you're alone in your house or you're surrounded by people that are just like you and have a half hour to burn on Sfirata Omer, do it. But if you're going to delay a Shiur Torah by a half hour as a result of your Sfirata Omer, you have two things. One, don't be over-righteous. Shlomo HaMelech said it. You're being over-righteous, my friend. Because you think that your Kavanah on Sfirat HaOmer is a mitzvah. In reality, you're delaying Torah. What does the Torah say about somebody who delays Torah? Ahul. The worst curse in the Torah. Worst curse in the Torah goes to the person who delays Torah. Gets in the way of Torah. Why somebody would come, somebody sees, oh wait, oh. They're praying 25 minutes for a Sfirat uh, Omer. I'll see you guys. I only had 25 minutes to learn Torah today. I couldn't last for the whole shiur. 25 minutes were burnt on waiting for the guy to finish Sfirat Omer. So instead of you doing a mitzvah with your kavanot, you're a shamerusha. In Shemaim. Not that I said it. In Shemaim, it's what it says. So, tefillah has kavanot. But you're not allowed to torture the public for your tefillah. If you're a chazan, you're a chazan, you're not allowed 
to make the prayer extra long because you want to do kavanot and the crowd is not used to it. You're not allowed. If the crowd is not used to your kavanot that make uh, Amidah last 35 minutes and they're used to, let's say, 5-10 minutes, you're not allowed to force them to stay there for 35 minutes. It's avira. It's not a mitzvah. So when someone is trying to be a tzaddik, you have to be careful of how to be a tzaddik. This is the difference between kedusha of Torah and kedusha of impostors, costumes, who know sipurit tzaddikim. All these mekubalim, mekupalim, mekunafim. Only thing that makes you holy is Torah. That's it. Everything else, the long hair, the beard, the short hair, the this hair, the payas, all that other stuff, that's extra. It's extra. You want to do it? Asrecha, whatever. But if you're going to be a rasha in disguise, just know. In Shemaim, they punish you extra. One for the costume and one for the sin. No, no, I'm serious. You should know this because there's a lot of those people today. So a lot of those people that they pretend, you know, I, I mean, I saw one today. 25 minutes, Firata Omer. 25 minutes, Firata Omer. Come on, no, seriously, you can't go in the back, learn Firata Omer, 25 minutes in the back. Never in my life did I even hear about 25 minutes, Firata Omer. 25 minutes, Firata Omer. You're delaying a shiur Torah, 25 minutes, for you, Firata Omer, it's two people. 25 minutes, Firata Omer. You have nothing else to do in your life? Go in the back. Okay, fine. You want to count the Omer? Count it twice. Count it from the beginning all the way to the end and add 300 days. Go in the back. Why do you have to delay the whole shield to offer your Sfirat Omer? Why? Why? That's Tzadik Arbe. That's fake Tzadik. It's nothing. It's Babkis. Why? It's not Torah. It's not Torah. You see Moshe Rabbeinu say, Hey guys, by the way, I know you want me to come down after 40 days, but I really like I really like the Chavuta that I have right now. His name is Hashem. I'm going to stay here for an extra 80. I'll see you guys. No. Hashem knew it. 40 days, that's it. It's the Gag. You have to go down. You have to go down. Give him a Torah. You're not allowed to delay. You're not allowed to delay. You're not allowed to be torture the public because you're enjoying your mitzvah. Enjoy your mitzvah by yourself. Counted the Omer for 25 minutes? No, no, okay. <laughs> I was, we were praying. We didn't have a minyan in Shul. Huh? We were praying. Yeah. And actually, I was, I was praying and we didn't have a minyan. So we started to pray, mm-hmm. waiting for people to come to join, right? So okay. The, the Shul, the and we, we, we came to the point where we are like ready to, to start the Midah. Okay. Okay. And people came, but they said, they said that we'll do. So we were ready to do a Midah. And we had to wait all, like 20 minutes for people to. to well, you already did my side. You can't do my side again. You did my side already. Yes. So you have to do it again for them. Uh, no, no. I was waiting for. I was waiting for them to join us to, to, to get ready for the. No, they were supposed. The, they were supposed to catch up to you. They were supposed to start where you are. Not you go back. I didn't go back, but I, I waited. I waited for them to. Uh, to, to get to where you are. Get, yes. You didn't have to, but. Uh, Chesed that you did it, but you didn't have to. 
You don't have to. Uh, I mean, listen, it's better to praise a minyan than not praise a minyan for obvious reasons. We learned that, I think, a week or two weeks ago. It's definitely better to pray as a minyan than not as a minyan. Uh, so it's a worthwhile chesed to do to wait for them 20 minutes so you can pray as a minyan rather than praying by yourself. But as far as did you have to, you didn't have to. Um, in reality, they're supposed to just show up on time and not make you guys wait. That's really what they're supposed to do. Uh, but the, the thing is, though, is that in Keilot, that wait for people, what ends up happening is that there's never a minyan on time. If you don't start on time, people are going to get used to that. Ah, they're going to wait for me. They're going to wait for me. And they're going to wait for me. They're going to wait for me. And people are just, you know, they're going to show up whenever they want because people are selfish. And uh, they're just going to, you know, make everybody wait for 20 minutes. You're never going to have a minyan on time. And eventually what ends up happening is that it's either going to be a kilah full of angry people or the kilah is going to break up because people are just going to get sick of it. No one wants to wait for anybody. I got stuff to do. I got to go to work. I got to go this. I got to do that. I don't want to wait 20 minutes for anybody. I want to pray and I want to go home. That made me feel bad because I had to, like, to, to have a bad thought about because I was, I was waiting for the guys to... to, to no, I mean, listen, if, if people are not there on time, just start praying on your own and uh, that's it. I mean, listen, personally, I value my time, so I don't wait for anybody. You know, I'm sometimes late and I try not to be, uh, but I, I'm very, very, you know, upset when I'm late to anything. I'm more upset than usually the people that I'm late for. But in general, I don't like to wait for anyone because I value my time. My time is priceless. So I would not wait 25 minutes for anybody to come if, uh, you know, for minyan or for anything. If they're not coming, I'm praying. That's me. You are a bigger tzaddik than I am, so you may want to wait 20 minutes. I'm not waiting for anybody. I want to I wanna go learn. I want to go do kiruv. I want to save souls. I don't know. I want to do something. I'm, I definitely don't want to wait. Unless I have something to do in the Knesset. So usually what I try to do is I usually try to bring myself, bring a book with me, you know, or, or, or uh, and, and learn something while we wait, if necessary. But in general, uh, it's not advisable to go to a keilah that has constant lateness. When there's co- constant lateness, you're just eventually going to lose it. You just, you just uh, doesn't doesn't last. I know a few keilahs like that where people just don't show up on time, and eventually people just uh, leave. They just don't come anymore. So. If, if you don't have, that's that's also the reason why people usually like to go to bigger kilot. Because even if not everybody shows up, you still have a minyan. So, I mean, listen, it's it's already hard enough to wake up really early in the morning and get to the Beknesset and then get to work and all the pressure that you already have to delay your whole day because some guy woke up late. Why? That's if you were part of a minyan. If you're part of a minyan, you end up breaking the minyan. It's a different story. That's a mishnah. But we're talking about there's no minyan. There was no minyan. You were there. They didn't come. You started praying. They came late. You're not going to stay there because they came late. You're not obligated to them. You're obligated to Hashem. But again, it's. I'm not telling you that you should never wait for anybody. I mean, if it's once in a while, it's not. It's not a big deal. But if it's on a regular basis. Personally, I would say just change shul. The people there are not serious. You know, just change shul. Or go to a minyan that's later. You know, some, some batekneset have a later minyan. You know, they don't have, they don't just do nets. They do 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, whatever it is. And go to a minyan that's full. But definitely don't waste your time waiting because you're going to lose steam. Stuff like that is very, very good weapon for the yetzalat to cool you off. 
It's like, oh, look at this guy. He's got the hat and the beard and this, and he's 25 minutes late every day. You know, so it's like those are different excuses that the Yetzirah will use to get you like to not come at all. So instead of waiting for that to happen where you're just sick of it, just either change shul or uh, change the minyan or don't wait. But definitely don't continuously wait for people. It's, it's a bad idea. In my experience, it's a bad idea. No. You could switch shuls. In your position right now, it depends. If they're adults, you're young. So if they're adults, you should definitely tell them to stop. If they don't stop, tell the rabbi to tell them to stop. If the rabbi doesn't do anything about it, then you should leave. Um, but if you are a little older, you were, let's say, in a, you know, if, they were, if they were your age, let's say, uh, where you didn't have the issue of honor to the elders and so on, as, as, a, as a problem, which is not really a problem as far as halacha as much as it is for just in general. Um, if it's, let's say, someone that's old enough to be your grandfather, for you to tell him to be quiet is not exactly the most appropriate midot in the world, even if he's wrong. Um, but if it's somebody your age, then actually you're allowed to embarrass them even in public. If they continuously talk, not if one time you warn them, second time you warn them, if they continuously talk in the Beknesset, you're allowed to embarrass them in public. Which the Torah says very, very hard things about somebody that embarrasses somebody. So somebody that embarrasses another person in public has no share of the world to come. But you're allowed to do it under certain conditions. What is that condition? If the person is considered a Rasha, and someone that's going against the Chaza on a regular basis, talks in the Beknesset, is considered a Rasha. So you're allowed to embarrass him. You're allowed to kick him out of the shul also. If they're a decent person? Okay, so tell them to shut up then. If they're a decent person, then they would understand. Be quiet. Go talk outside. Don't talk. I mean, it's you have to understand. If we treat the synagogue like it's a uh, club, then you might as well pray at home by yourself. But if you're going to treat the Bet Knesset like it's a small Bet Mikdash, why would you ever talk? Or why would you ever tolerate anybody else talking? It's either a Bet Mikdash or it's a club. If it's a club, go pray at home. You probably have more Kedusha. The Sefer Torah by itself doesn't make the place holy. It's the Sefer Torah with the people around it. But if the people around it are Rishayim, you're better off taking a Sefer Torah and taking it home, praying with the Sefer Torah by yourself. You know, it's not if, if they're all talking and they all they're 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 doing things that are against the Torah. Why are you praying there? I know it's hard to find a shul. Trust me, it's very very hard for me to move right now to find a new community to find a shul. It's not easy, but to put yourself in a situation where you can't pray, you can't focus because people don't shut up. Why pray there? For what? It's not you can't focus anyway. You know, so there has to be a place that's kosher somewhere, or. Try to get somebody to get involved and get people to say, listen, do me a favor. At least this prayer, be quiet. You know, don't say anything. After we finish Amidah, go outside, talk, do whatever you want. But let me pray. You can do it in all, obviously, less aggressive ways that I'm talking about. But you can get people to be quiet. Generally, it's, it's, it's very hard to get big kilo to be quiet. There's always going to be people that talk. But when it becomes like a club where everyone talks, including the rabbi, you definitely have to leave. Like I was in a shul once where the biggest talker in, in the shul was the rabbi. 
Mamash, not, not even joking. The biggest talkers in the, in the shul were the rabbis. It's a couple of rabbis were in the shul. They were the biggest talkers in the entire shul. Is it better to? Shul like that? It's not a shul. It's a club. No, what he talked when it, when it says that Hashem looked at the Torah as a blueprint to create the world, what it actually means, Chazal explains, is that not that the storyline was already written, not that Moshe Rabbeinu was already existed, and uh, Am Yisrael already made the sin of the golden calf, and the uh, Parashat Balak already happened with the 24,000 people that died because we went with Goyot. No, that stuff didn't happen. He didn't write that. That part didn't exist yet. What, ha- what it's talking about, the Torah that existed 974 generations before the world, is the dinim, the laws. So Hashem looked at the laws and He says, okay, there's a law of kosher. Okay, so I'm going to make pure animals that could be kosher and impure animals that can't be kosher. Okay, there's laws of tarat mishpacha. So I'm going to make the woman have a part of the month that she's able to be pure in a part of the month that she can't be pure. Uh, I'm going to have a law of, let's say, to, uh, what's it called? Uh, a Torah that they have to read. Written Torah. Okay, so we have a written Torah. We have the concept of writing. We have a script. We have letters and so on. So he looked at the dinim, and from that he uses a blueprint to create the world. Not the actual storyline that you read where, you know, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and the 12 tribes, and uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, and so on. That stuff was not in a... Uh, before the world. That only happened after the fact. And when we got to Parashat Yitro, the Torah that Am Yisrael received in Mount Sinai was two parts. One was the oral Torah, which was all of the laws, the details of all of the laws. So all the things that are not written about in the written Torah, like Alachot Shabbat, Alachot Nida, Kosher, all the things that are not written in the Torah, how do we know them? Because that's oral Torah. So we got this at Mount Sinai. And the second part is that we got the written Torah up to Parashat Yitro. Up to the Parashat of Yitro. Why only up to Parashat of Yitro? Because up to Parashat of Yitro is where we were up to at Mount Sinai. If we would have gone, let's say, for example, up to Parashat Balak, then we would know the future. Amisai would know the future, so they wouldn't do it. They would know about the golden calf, so they wouldn't do it, because they would know the punishment. They would know the uh, sin of uh, the uh, Midianite women, so they wouldn't do it. So there wouldn't be any prira, there wouldn't be any uh, free choice. So Hashem didn't write the future. He just wrote up to there, and He gave it to Moshe Rabbeinu. And over the next 40 years that we were in a desert, every so often, Hashem would come to Moshe and He'd tell him, write this, write this parasha, write that parasha, write this parasha. And He wrote the rest of the written Torah over the next 40 years. Next. Much more significant. It's much more significant, yeah. Well, I mean, like I told you, there is a... The Torah that we have right now, we have the written Torah, obviously is the written Torah. That doesn't change. The oral Torah that we have right now is limited to the Torah that we got from Rabbi Akiva and his five Talmidim. The Torah that he, even he had, and Moshe Rabbeinu had, and all the people before those five Talmidim had was much more significant because there was 24,000 people 
24,000 Tanaim that each had their own Chidushim, each had their own insights. So the uh, Torah, uh, one of the things we learned from the Gemara is that when someone has their own Chidush, it's more valuable to them than nine Chidushim of somebody else. Even if their Chidush is weaker than somebody else's Chidushim, they still love it and connect to it more. So the, uh, they asked the Chafetz Chaim, how does he know the whole Torah by heart? The Gemara, the Shulchan Aruch, this, that, the whole thing, he knows it by heart. He goes, no, I don't know by heart. I just have a Chidush on every single part of the Torah, so I'm forced to remember it. But the point is, is that it's a, uh, we have what we got. The oral Torah, as far as the Torah in general, that's, uh, is, is endless. So, for example, one of the Tanaim, uh, Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos, which was Rabbi Aki, one of Rabbi Akiva's um, uh, rabbis, said that if all of the ocean was ink, and all of the trees were pens, and all of the land was paper, it wouldn't be enough to write just the Torah that he knew, that Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos knew. And he, his knowledge of Torah was not even the equivalent of a single lick that a dog licks from the ocean of water in comparison to the entire ocean, the entire ocean being the, the Torah that his rabbis knew. And his rabbis, their Torah, the entire ocean, is not even a small, tiny fraction of the real Torah that's available in Shemayim. Meaning that it, to say endless is an understatement. Understatement. But that's why, you know, Hashem Himself is, you know, it's a, it's, he, he connected with the Torah, it became one with the Torah. The holy books, the Zohar Kadosh says, and a few other places also talk about, says that Hashem connected with Am Yisrael and the Torah all became one. The Torah became very much a part of Hashem, and the reason why the every single letter in the Torah, in the written Torah, is uh, is important is because every single letter in the Torah is one of the names of Hashem. So aside from having His name, the uh, Yud Kei Vav Kei, Elokim, El, all of those names, even the name Shalom, the word Shalom, you're not allowed to say Shalom in, let's say, a uh, mikveh. If you go to a mikveh, you don't have to say to somebody shalom. Now say the word shalom. You could wave. You can say hi. You don't have to talk. If there's naked people, you don't have to talk. You could say hi. You could wave. But you can't say the word shalom. Why? Shalom, according to Gemara, Masechet Shabbat, is one of the names of God. So you can't say the name of God when there's naked people. Understand? So Hashem has many names. One of the many names, or some of the many names, are each letter of the Hebrew alphabet is a name of Hashem. Which is the reason why every single letter in the Torah is holy. Because literally every letter is a mitzvah. When you read it, every letter in the Torah is a mitzvah because you're literally seeing the name of Hashem. Hebrew letter. Modani, you're allowed to say when you wake up, the Kota Shachar, you could do. Um, uh, but as far as like doing the Tfilin uh, and Shema uh, Yisrael, you have to do it at a specific time. Yeah, 
Because of Torah, you can do even in the middle of the night if you wake up. If you wake up out of sleep, you say because of Torah. They uh, say that um, in the old days, in order to be a rabbi, all you needed to do is learn uh, basic halachot uh, of uh, marriage, and know Rabbi Moshe Feinstein's phone number. Why? Because when you have questions, you call Rabbi Moshe Feinstein any time during the day, and he give you the answer. So one time somebody called Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, a rabbi called Rabbi Moshe Feinstein at 3 o'clock in the morning. He called him at 3 o'clock in the morning. He said, oh, I'm sorry for the for calling you, waking you up. I'm really, really sorry. Uh, but this question is really, really important. And I really need the answer now. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, okay, okay. Just ask me the question. Okay, but I just woke you up. Are you okay? He goes, listen, ask me the question. If before I answer your question, I say, that means that you woke me up. If I don't, that means you didn't wake me up. So you asked him the question. He answered the question without saying because he was awake. No? You slept like a normal sleep. Not if you slept on your chair. If you slept like on a bed, fell asleep on your chair or fell asleep on a bed? If you fell asleep laying down like a normal, ordinary way of sleep, then you have to do Bikot HaShachar. You have to uh, do Bikot HaTorah. If you fell asleep normally, not if you fall asleep on your chair. No, you only have to do it if you're going to go, if you wake up and you want to learn Torah, then you have to do Bikot HaTorah. But if you're going to go back to sleep, you don't have to do because You have to do it, you bless it. You want to learn for a minute, you have to do because of Torah. If you fell asleep normally again, yeah. If it's during the night, if it's during the day, then hold it for the whole day. But, Baruch Hashem. No. Next. Ken, it's uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says that someone that learns Torah all night on Shavuot is a special blessing that he wants special zgula where he learns all night without sleeping, without even like uh, nimnum, without even like closing their eyes. Almost like learns all night. There, uh, there's a special zgula for them to be, have protection the whole year, to have a lot of atzlachat throughout the whole year. There's a lot of a lot of uh, great blessings. On, on this night of Shavuot. Uh, one of the main reasons is that we learn all night, by the way, on Shavuot, is because Am Yisrael and Mount Sinai uh, felt a little too comfortable, and uh, they fell asleep before Matan Torah. They fell asleep. So, uh, to obviously, that wasn't a good look before you're getting the holiest thing in creation. You fall asleep. It wasn't exactly a good look for us. So, to show Hashem that we're actually excited that He's giving us the Torah, we learn all night. But as far as the halachot for the Chag, it's pretty simple. It's like Shabbat. You can't light fire, you can't drive, you can't play with your phone, no Facebook, no Twitter, no WhatsApp, no YouTube, no Torah anytime, no nothing. You have to learn Torah. Uh, at night, you learn Torah all night. Uh, for the men, the women are not obligated with learning Torah all night. Uh, they could, you know, read some Tehillim, go to sleep ordinarily, 
uh, in the morning the men uh, go straight from learning Torah to praying Minyan, uh, pray the Beknesset, after that you can sleep for a little bit, uh, and uh, then you do, in the morning you eat Machale uh, Chalav, eat uh, dairy. Uh, the reason why we eat dairy is because when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, um, everyone already was prepared for the celebration. Getting the Torah said so they already, they already um, slaughtered all the cows. But since they slaughtered all the cows before they got the Torah, that means they didn't follow the kosher laws. So Moshe Rabbeinu told them, all of these animals, the millions of animals that you slaughtered right now, they're all taref. You have to throw them all out. So there wasn't enough time to slaughter more animals, so the only thing they had left was dairy products. So that's the reason why we eat dairy in the morning of Shavuot. But let's not confuse... A lot of people confuse. They think that the entire Shavuot only eats dairy products. That's wrong. It's actually halacha that you have to eat meat. You have to eat meat on Shavuot on any Yom Tov. It's just like it's a mitzvah, just like laying tefillin. You have to eat meat. Specifically, there's a stringency where you should eat bakal. You should eat like meat, meat, not chicken. You eat chicken if you don't have a choice. If you could only afford chicken, then eat chicken. But if you could afford meat. Then eat meat. You know, uh, it's very, very important to eat meat uh, on uh, holidays. It's, it's part of halachah of, of Yom Tov to eat meat. Um, obviously kosher. But if you don't have kosher meat, don't eat. Uh, and uh, so you eat, you learn Torah, you relax with the family. It's pretty simple, enjoyable holiday. Uh, there's not really that many, uh, other than, you know, obviously observing like Shabbat as far as the uh, fire to fire. But in general, you're not really allowed to smoke overall. But if you already have an addiction, there is a leniency for people that have an addiction already to cigarettes that you're allowed to have fire to fire. Uh, but it's a, uh, again, you're not really allowed to smoke cigarettes ever. Forget about uh, smoking cigarettes on holidays or, or or anything like that. Um, as far as uh, cooking, obviously fire to fire. But uh, again, it's a uh, most important part is to learn Torah, be with the family, enjoy the holiday, don't violate it. Simple. Simple to be a Jew. Simple. You just have to want to do it. If you don't want to do it, it's the most difficult thing in the world. No? Finished? Milk slows you down. Possible it's gula I've never heard of. I don't know. I never heard of it. I'll check it. I'll check into it. Wine makes you want to sin. Wine makes you drunk. Can, but it's a uh, wine makes you yes. Wine makes you want to sin. Yes, but it's also a bracha. Depends how much wine. Depends how much wine. Marayin Moed Katan and also a few other places talks about that everything is the same between Shabbat and uh, Yom Tov.
Um, so, I mean, it's a, uh, with the exception of cooking. The exception of cooking, where you're allowed to uh, have fire to fire, everything else is the same. I mean, it's a, uh, I don't necessarily know if the magnitude of the punishment on Yom Tov is the same as, uh, as uh, Shabbat, but uh, I definitely know it's, you're not on the good list. Uh, and it's definitely up there. I just don't, uh, I don't know exactly all the punishments off the top of my head of Chilul uh, Chag. Finished? Tai Torah? We know everything now? We're ready for uh, Yom Tov? Anybody online have any questions before we uh, go? Let's see. We're still trying to figure out. Uh, yeah, let's do that. Oh, here we go. There's a thing. Can a Noah hide in any way finish conversion? Pray in a Jewish way, like Amidah, Shachrit, Mincha, Ma'arit. If someone is in the process of um, conversion, then they are allowed to pray in a Keilah. They're allowed to keep mitzvot. They're allowed to learn the entire Torah, the oral Torah, and the written Torah, if they're in the process of conversion. If they're not in the process of conversion, and they have no intention of converting, then they're not allowed to do any of those things. So the person, Aaron Zohar, asked the question. It's a good question. Bezat Hashem, we'll continue learning more. Hopefully we're going to start a uh, weekly series soon of uh, questions and answers, probably during the day. Uh, and uh, we'll answer a lot of the questions live. But uh, Bezat Hashem, all of you enjoy the holiday. Celebrate. Remind yourselves that, yes, not only did you get the Torah, but why? What are you going to do with it now that you have it? That's really what we're learning from this Mishnah, says, listen, if it's important to you, then you know that forgetting it puts your life on the line. If it's not important to you, just go back to the beginning of the Mishnah. Amen <laughs> Amen.